Good evening and welcome to El Osa Fumar Takes. This is our 186th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Euless, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplessis, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. Took me two times to do it, but here we are. We got severe weather outside, but we got a bigger storm ready for you with an awesome take. We're going to take a stroll down memory lane and have a little bit of a good time. And a, actually, we're going to have a lot of good time because I'm excited to have my guest back uh, for his third appearance tonight. But before we get to introductions, we're going to thank the people that make this show possible. That, of course, is our sponsors. And tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate is about to make someone a whole lot richer. Yes, you heard it here. During its latest Freestyle Live show on the company's Facebook page, Drew Estate announced that it will hold a Bitcoin sweepstakes. Yeah, you heard it here. Bitcoin with numerous incredible prizes during the upcoming Freestyle Live events, including a grand prize of one full Bitcoin for a lucky fan to be announced during February 17th, 2022 edition of the Freestyle Live. I don't know how much a Bitcoin is worth, I just know it's worth more than a dollar. So actually probably a lot more than a dollar. And so they are, they're going to make somebody rich here. A lot richer. A lot richer than you were before you won the Bitcoin. I'm excited. I've never really gotten into that, that, that whole virtual coin stuff. But this is exciting stuff. So check it out. February 17, 2022. Someone's going to get a whole lot richer. All joking aside. A free, yes, one full Bitcoin. Look it up. I'm all kidding, man. This is exciting stuff. Drew Estate. During, during this freestyle live event is going to give away a full Bitcoin. Uh, really exciting. The company will randomly select names of five people who attend the online show and, com and comment during specific times in each broadcast as potential winners of an assortment of fantastic prizes, including the Bitcoin. The five winners from each of these three shows will continue, will create the contestant pool of 15 people. So the three shows that you need to watch are coming up in five days, October 15th on November 11th, and January 20th, just one month before the February 17th show, tune in then. That's when you can get into win this full Bitcoin, a grand prize of one full Bitcoin. Pretty exciting stuff. I'm going to say Bitcoin a few more times. Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Drew Estate, thanks to them. Check out the Freestyle Lives on their Facebook page today. And without further ado, the rain is here. The fun has started. Yes, brought to you by United Cigars. Smoke one today and start living United. Tonight's guest, Mr. Justin Andrews of diesel cigars justin how we doing there what's going on baby oh man i i feel like saying bitcoin a couple more times man bitcoin I, bitcoin you got to mix in ethereum a few other things there there's uh, i know there's so many too there's like dodge and have you done any of this like this this cryptocurrency thing well have you? first of all sir it's doge, doge. It's not dodge excuse me dog so if you're gonna say it now <laughs> i uh Feel free to correct me. I'm I I'm I'm a total neophyte when it comes to this stuff. So yeah, I mean educate well, I, me. I once was like you, Bear, and and I resisted uh, the 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 tides of change and progress and and uh, new currencies. Um, no, I got into it uh, during the pandemic because I mean shit. What else was there to do? Yeah, and uh, and so like no, GameStop I, I, stock, you could have gone. Yeah. <laughs> Some some AMC, some GameStop. I uh, I know enough to to lose money. That's that's about it. And 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 how to correctly pronounce Dogecoin. <laughs> but that's uh, that's about it. So yes, I'm in it. Am am I am I doing well? Not really. Um, I'm, it 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 seems to be that I'm 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 the last to jump in. 
you know, and, and I miss the, the peak. And then I'm also the last to sell. So when it, it hits the bottom, then I'm like, okay, I guess it's time to get rid of this crap. So I got to say, man, I, 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 I really, the whole thing is just kind of bizarre to me. I know a lot of, like, I know a lot of people in the industry are like really into it. And I know people have made money like straight up and like, like more power to them. Like I'm not being, I'm not being one of those, like those, those people that are like, just, well, that's just stupid. Look, if you're making money, I mean, how dumb can it be? Right. I mean, it's as long as it's not immoral, you know, or illegal, right. you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's more power to you and everything. It's just, the whole thing is just still kind of mysterious to me. And I don't like, I don't like doing something I don't fully understand and I don't fully understand it. So I, I just don't know. Someone's going to have to educate me, I think like, but, uh, but I mean, do you have any Bitcoin or are you just into the doge? I said it right this time. I do. I, I have, I have some Bitcoin, um, but the fun for me is, is in with the little guys, almost like penny stocks. That's where, mm. that's where you can see some, some huge shifts and, and swings and there's some, some potential there. But I mean, all in all, it's gambling. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. I've got friends that, man, they got really, really quiet on social media when, when some of these things took a dive. Um, <laughs> and the, the professionals that I know that, that actually, you know, have been working in the market for years and, and have portfolios of, you know, a lot of other people's money. And they basically tell me, look, it's gambling. If you, if you've got a certain percentage of, of your investment portfolio that you want to risk and do then fine, have fun with it. But you know, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't shift everything from your 401k or, or your Roth over to, uh, to Shibu Inu. Uh, so see, it's all in what you make it. No, I, that's no, that's see, that's another thing too. Like, I just wondered if like, I'm just like, not in like, I, I've heard the Shibu term. So, um, I feel like. I, so I know that that's something too. Like, I know you're not messing around with me there, but there's, there's, yeah, there's some that I've heard of, like, they're just kind of vaguely online. And it's just like, I'm like, man, I'm, I got to get into this or just completely stay out of it forever. Like, cause like, I feel like if I don't, like, I'm going to, like, I'm going to get way behind and like, there's no way to catch up at some point. Well, there was a few that I would have never gotten into, except I had some, some friends drag me kicking and screaming into them based on their expertise. And I won't mention their name, Matt Booth. And, uh, <laughs> and reluctantly I did it. And, and so now I got to send my cousin Tony to go visit him and, and help me recoup some of my money that, that I lost on, <laughs> on this, on this stock tip. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm eager to share some more stories tonight. Uh, little little bit not as virtual as as cryptocurrency but uh, uh i'm about ready to light up a cigar here i know you can have already, you're already kind of smoking uh, something there what do you, so while i'm doing this uh just i'm gonna i'm gonna light up an esteli apparel very nice you, you know you know the cigar is my jam i love it i think it's fantastic uh, but what uh, what are you lighting up tonight so i'm currently about the first third into uh our latest sunday gravy the San Marzano and uh, this, uh, this thing continually surprises me uh, because obviously this is a, you know, this, this is a value proposition that, 
not not at the same price point as that Estelle Pour you're smoking there, but this thing has been uh, always performs well. So this is what I'm starting off with tonight, and I've got a few few others over here. I've got a Estelle Puro, I've got a Diesel Delirium, and, and one of the OG uh, Whiskey Row Sherry casks. So depending on how late you keep me up past my bedtime, will determine <laughs> how many of those cigars I smoke tonight. I've got a Sunday Gravy too. Um... I've got a couple of deliriums put back too, but we're uh, we're we're uh, we're going to be moving soon, so I've already got some stuff packed up. But I've got I've got a few of those put away because those are those cigars are outstanding. Um, loved them, but the uh, but yeah, I, I love you know the Esteli Piro is totally my jam. I love this cigar. I've told you probably uh, I don't know a hundred times at this point. You're probably tired of those text messages, but uh, well, in but, spite of what Ben Lee says about me, I, I feel like I I make a good cigar every once in a while. So. <laughs> Um, I, I, the, the whole Benley rivalry is hilarious to me because, um, uh, just cause you guys root for the same team and you're like from the same part of the country. It's awesome. <laughs> I still like Ben more than I like Aaron Loomis. So that's, I mean, <laughs> that's not saying much, but, but. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> if, I, if I had a list, Ben would be second from the bottom. So that's, there's, there's, there's something there. There you go. So, um, so I wanted to, to kind of do an introduction to this t- to the concept for tonight's show before we kind of got into um, the major point, and that was kind of what I wanted to do tonight a little bit with Justin. I invited Justin on, and I wanted to take a stroll down memory lane a little bit more further back than we're normally used to talking about when it comes to cigar journeys. And and the reason I was doing that <laughs> is um, I remember something, I remember something Justin said a while back, and that was. Uh, when we when we did the Gladiator show, you were thrilled to come onto the show and talk about thrilled thrilled to come on the show and talk about anything but cigars. Um, you love your job, but it was nice to it was nice to take a quick break. So I thought, like, you know what? For the next time I have you on to talk a little cigars, we'll mix in a whole lot other non cigar stuff and just kind of tie it into a couple of things. And and uh, I thought so. I thought it would be really nice to kind of talk a little bit about our journeys in general. You know, how we grew up, what we're made of, you know, like, you know, just and kind of go like take some strolls down, like I said, down memory lane. And because uh, uh, the, the great thing is, is we're about the same age. Uh, I'm a little bit older than you uh, and you're way more advanced in life. So it says a lot about what I've done with my life. <laughs> I but, wouldn't say that. But <laughs> your, your beard is way more advanced than mine, though. That's a fact. That is a fact. Absolutely. So. Uh, so that's kind of the concept of tonight's show. So we're going to get to know Jess. We're going to get to know me a little bit uh, as well as we talk a little bit about some stuff and uh, enjoy a little bit of our childhood favorites and everything. So tonight, without further ado, tonight's major point is always brought to you by Power of the P. Brought to you by the people, cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service. Protocol Cigars is more than just about pool parties and good times. Well, Maybe it is. But behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Bass Reeves Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol Cigars. So as I mentioned, tonight's uh, major point, Justin, we're going to talk a little bit about um, just each other's background stuff. So with it being October... As you're demonstrating the incredible construction that your your good friend AJ Fernandez has put on this cigar here, um, we're going to talk a little bit about how 
I want to talk a little bit about Halloween. So like Halloween as a kid, did you, were you a Halloween person? Did you, did you do a lot of dress up or like, was that a fun holiday for you? Any fond memories of Halloween or were there other holidays in the Andrews hall, Andrews household that kind of took precedent? Dude, Halloween. I was, I was all about Halloween. I, I would say it was you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, obviously were, you know, big, big deals for us because I've got a big family and, and all of us were always around, but even more so uh, for those two holidays. Uh, you know, the summer holidays are always great. July 4th, Labor Day weekend were big stuff because growing up not too far from the beach, but Halloween was my jam. And, and the reason that Halloween became so important to me is it was because of Halloween that I learned how to play five card draw. I learned how to play poker. So I had a friend of mine in the neighborhood and <clears throat> excuse me, we came back one night. We had all of our bags of candy and his dad taught us how to play, how to play poker. And obviously, you know, uh, you get Annie in with a Tootsie roll. You know, I raised you a, a mini Snickers and you raised me, you know, a, a mini bag of gummy bears. So man, it was like, Honestly, now looking back at it, a, a, a lot of the gambling issues that I have right now started <laughs> as a young child gambling over candy. I was going to say this. This it's all it's all coming. I just circle. learned something about myself. Yeah, it's all coming full circle. Look, look, the mission accomplished already for tonight's show. We're learning a little bit about ourselves too. This is fantastic. The the, the <laughs> fact that I that I lost the value of a 05 Honda Accord today on football is all due to uh, 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 Halloween trick-or-treating back in 1994. Yeah, this is is better than therapy, Bear. We just discovered something. I I like it. I like what I'm already accomplishing. I've always said that my show is a little bit deeper than most. You know, we we go – we're already, we're already taking it to the couch a little bit. So, okay, so here's here's what I love hearing from that. See, that's the kind of poker I grew up playing. It was five-card draw. Five card stud, seven card yeah. stud. That's what that's what my dad taught me, and so I never played Texas Hold'em until I got to college. And I, we're gonna go back to Halloween for a second, but we're gonna go go along this gambling string. For those people who know me, I actually, you know, for a while there through college, I actually that's how I worked. That was my work. I did. I played Texas Hold'em. So, oh shit, yeah, yeah that's cool, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the poker boom, the Chris Moneymaker thing. And, but I had that deeper background because of my dad and I had no idea how to play it. So a couple people taught me, it took me a few times around, you know, probably lost, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks, you know, over the span of like, I don't know, the first six months as I was learning it. And then, and then I kind of, I kind of took it back to what I learned with my dad and, uh, and then it all of a sudden it started to click and it started to work. And, and, uh, you know, I always said my dad, I think my dad's proudest moment wasn't the fact that I, that I earned money from playing cards. It was the fact that I learned, I finally learned how to do fractions. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So remind me not to, uh, to play any like charity, uh, uh, Texas Hold'em events with you. Well, I mean, if it's all for charity, though, I mean, I mean, it's all for a good cause, though, right? Yeah, but, I, but it's got to go to my charity. Like, that's that's the thing. I don't want your charity getting all the money. So, 
So when you, uh, so that's, uh, so going back to this, you would go back and you would play for candy and everything. See, I, that was the, that, that's the one thing I've never been able to do is play for anything like other than chips, like, or money. Like I've the whole, like playing for like candy or cookies and stuff. Like I try, I, fe- I tried it a few times and I, it was just weird to me. Like I, I, I failed miserably at it. So if we want to do a charity tournament, just have there no be chips on the table and I'll, I'll lose, I'll lose every, everything to you. It'll be fine. It'll be you know, fine. It's funny. I'm sure, I'm sure as, as like 10 or 12 year olds, however old we were, there was probably some arguments about the value of like, you know, a Milky way compared to like a Reese cup. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm sure those discussions uh, took place, but man, I remember like getting out of class and just all day thinking like, I'm going to beat his ass today and I'm going to come back home with some, you know, some Starburst, some, some Twizzlers. It was, man, it was the, it was the coolest thing. So that's definitely my, my favorite Halloween uh, memory uh, prior to college, which, you know, we, we, Halloween in college is a, it's a little different memories and there's some uh, probably some stuff for if you have a, a after hour show that, that we could, uh, Discuss why Halloween is so special at uh, East Carolina University. <laughs> Go Pirates! Well, speaking speaking of uh, speaking of college, I've got I've got a little something here. That little gem that you gave me, actually. So, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, this is uh, I'm going to go ahead and share share my screen here. I forgot I forgot I sent you that. <laughs> um, and this was this was. Uh, I wouldn't say the last uh, last Halloween costume you've put on, but this was you said circa 2012. Hope everyone can see this. This is uh, it took me a set like wait, I, I had to read the headline. I was like, I know who you're. I like, I know this in my head. Like, I know. Okay, this is a character. I know this. I know this, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it for like the 30 seconds I was just looking at you, and then I looked at the I looked at the the caption, and I was like, oh, that's that's fucking brilliant. That's that's awesome. So that was that was one of my better better ones. That was that was one of the best there. And uh, man, that's a, what a strapping young man that is right there. Goodness gracious, that's uh, that's in the early early years of of the cigar industry before uh, before I'd been beaten down and and uh, harassed by by Ben Lee and Aaron Loomis and and uh, had my cigars start getting eighty threes and eighty fours. Well, I mean, look, but look at this. Your beard game's improved, and you still have all your hair. None of it, <laughs> none of it gray. I mean, I mean, you're winning at life right now. That's, I mean, that's, I mean, it's pretty damn good here. Um, uh, that's that's a positive way to to look at that. I've I've definitely, I've I've definitely added some pounds. But yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy. I still have some hair. I'm I'm sure it's a little bit thinner than it was in that picture, but. Uh, but but at least there's uh, there's some good takeaways from that. So oh you know so my comment to you when you texted this to me last night was um, I uh, I was like well I, w- I was a State Farm kid my dad was a State Farm agent and uh, you know I actually worked for State Farm for a number of years too in my day job and uh, so when I saw that I was like oh that's that's great instant rivalry and everything did did you like did you just find the character hilarious or do you have like any connection to all state I'm just yeah curious. I was uh I, you know it's funny it was like that was like the early days of Instagram and 
you know, Instagram hadn't been around that long and we were all still kind of like getting familiar with it. And, uh, I was, uh, I was watching, it was the commercial. So like, you know, I'm sure you've seen it, but the guy's like, you know, he's, 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 he's dressed up as, as the lady like jogging, you know, with the, with the headband and she's got the little weights and, and distracting the guy while he drives and, you know, don't mm-hmm. let, just don't let mayhem slow you down. So I saw that commercial and I was like, that's what I'm going to be for Halloween right there. Had, had, had a suit, uh, had the, you know, it was, and, and let's be honest, you're in college. It was a, it was an inexpensive. Uh, oh yeah. And it was a hilarious costume. character, man. He really was yeah. Dean, Dean winners. Dean winners is the actor and he was in law and order SVU for a couple of years. And you know, he's, he's been a character actor that he's made, you know, been in and out of stuff and everything. And I've, I've always liked his persona, like, you know, and, and this character was just, and he was always like, no bullshit, just like this, this gritty, rough, you know, rough around the edges guy. And he still is in the commercials, but then it's hilarious. Like he plays like all these like inanimate objects or an old lady running. And it's just, uh, just comical, man. It just, I had me rolling. So, like, okay. So here's, here's the question I wanted to pass to you. So how many, like, if you had to guess over this, over a series of time, like, Who's been the more popular costume in insurance? Flo from Progressive, Jake from State Farm, or Mayhem? Dude, I have seen I've seen a lot of Jake from State Farm. Right, um, like you said, the simple costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, my my Mayhem costume is funny. Uh, I ran into an old friend in Charlotte uh, a couple years ago. Uh, her and her husband, and and we were talking about just all sorts of things went to dinner and, and, and she brought up that, that costume. And I remember I had, had people that I'd never met through friends of friends were like, Oh, I saw your costume. Cause it was so current. Like the commercials had just started coming out. And again, I can't, maybe it was like 2010, 11, 12, I don't know, somewhere in there. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't see it. I did. I didn't really didn't see anybody else dressed up as mayhem. I did in the years following. Cause I think the commercials are more popular. Jake from State Farm, I did see a lot of a lot of him. Yeah, the I mean that was that became like a real like uh, that became like a real thing too. So it was what was really funny is every year without fail, every year until the year I quit, someone, one, two, but at least one person would come into our office and and to buy borrow whatever a state farm shirt so they could be jake from state farm oh yeah it was every it. single year every single year it was just it was uh it was hilarious but no but mayhem was one of mayhem's probably my favorite character um it's interesting about these like commercial characters that like last a long time like mayhem i think had the perfect run like i look back upon his time and i look back fondly and stuff like I think the Jake's from State Farm. Now we're in our second generation of a Jake from State Farm. Yeah, I think I think Flo is played out. I think the Gecko from Geico is played out. Yes, like it's, it's it's just kind of like you know. At this point, I never thought I would say this, but bring back the caveman from Geico. At this point, please. I yes, yes. We are we are on the same page. That Flo character. I mean, God, it's it's pretty awful, and like <laughs> it makes me like. I don't have progressive, but I definitely would have progressive just because of her. 
And the same thing with Jake from State Farm. It's like it's so funny because like there, and there's studies about this with with, with marketing. And I, I won't bore everybody with with my marketing talk, but there's some it's funny to see the adverse effect of some some character that's like annoying or a commercial that just gets overplayed. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's absolutely and I feel that same way. Get rid of the gecko. I mean, toss his ass in, in, in the ocean wherever he's at. And 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 flow needs to go. Yeah, I'm I'm over all of it. But I could use a little more mayhem, and that right there uh, right. goes back right. to your point that he left with us. He, he left us wanting more. Right, right, he, exactly. He didn't burn us out. We couldn't quote every commercial. Well, this is why this is why I've always said that I was like Budweiser. Budweiser had this shit figured out. They, they, they built a story over 15 years, if you can believe it. They started with the stupid frogs. They did all that stuff. Then they brought in geckos that were supposed to be observing these frogs and making fun of them, right? And wanting to be them or making fun of them. And then like the last, the last breath of that whole thing was some f- random ferret. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, wow, like... And when the ferret came along, I was like, okay, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> but I'm like, and I thought about it, I'm like, this has been 10, 15 years of of a store of, of a ridiculous story. Yes. And it and it, I mean, it just put buzz it, it put Budweiser on a map. Did it big the beer taste better? Did it increase sales? I don't know, but it got every it got Budweiser into the people's consciousness. Like it, it certainly did, and you're right. That was uh, that was that was a fun little journey they took us on there. But I remember when the ferret showed up, and I was like, "What the fuck is going on now?" Like we we <laughs> we had the frogs, we had the lizard. Now there's a ferret involved. Like I I don't know. I'm still not going to go buy more Bud Light, but this is awesome. So, um, so that kind of you know the the gambling around the table around Halloween and kind of the, the kind of growing up and everything. I have to imagine that the cigar that you're smoking is so we'll, we'll dip into a little cigar talk here. I've got one here as well, Justin, you're smoking the Sunday gravy. I have to imagine that the story behind this goes back to your childhood. What, where, where, tell us a little about the story of Sunday gravy. Where did, where, where did the Sunday gravy story uh, come from with the, the new diesel uh, product that you're smoking right now? Yeah. So, uh, this is, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite stories and, and it's one that, uh, people either love and, and they love the name or they, uh, there's a lot of passion around this, this sauce versus gravy debate. Oh yeah. uh, Everything, which is great for me because I, I, you know, I would like to say that I, I could have anticipated this much uh, conversation around, around this fun little quirky, limited edition product but uh, but yeah a lot of a lot of people get passionate about their their sauce versus gravy but it it all started in aj's factory so for you obviously you guys know i've been working with aj for many many years and and there is things that aj does and and things about him that as someone who's been in pretty much every factory that has tobacco and 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 in every part of the world like there's some things that AJ does that's that's just different, um, and and he does things differently than than our factories at STG. And one of the things that he's super passionate about, um, and it sounds simple, but is this this low and slow method, and it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I, I I won't I won't give away all the all the secrets, but 
it's some, some, some phrasing and some terminology in a process that's been every time I'm with AJ and every time I spend time with AJ, whether it's here in the States or whether it's over in Nicaragua, we, we obviously, we, we talk about tobacco 99% of the time. And so as I was thinking of, of, you know, just what makes AJ special, the tobacco, a lot of the blends that we use, what separates us from a lot of people. Um, I just, I kept, going back to this, this fermentation process. And one day I was, uh, I, I was, I was reading a book and the Sunday gravy came up and it wasn't necessarily about the gravy itself. It was about the, the process and it was about the tradition of family gatherings on Sunday, family gatherings, like from in the South where I'm from, you know, we'd have Sunday supper or all of us would have have, you know, lunch after church. And then you had Sunday gravy. And, and through all these different uh, cultures and different parts of the world, there's some form of this breaking of bread, communal family gathering. So so as I learned more about Sunday gravy, then I, it started to remind me of things that my mother would do when it came to cooking stews and and roast and and you know a lot of the a lot of the southern things that we do that aren't necessarily uh using san marzano tomatoes and and italian seasonings but it's the same principle and man i was like i love this idea one of family gatherings at least once a week because we all need to do that more i love you know, the way that AJ and I go through and, and our process on on selecting tobaccos and, and understanding the genius that he is and what he does. And so all this stuff's going around. This is this is like my, you know, my whiteboard. And I'm, and I'm going through all these ideas and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm putting things together. And I was like, well, I'm going to come out with a cigar named Sunday Gravy. And here's and I'm going to use this this tobacco that AJ and I've talked about try to create some, some separate things. And AJ was like, Hey, this is great, but I've only got a limited quantity of this. I've only got a limited quantity of that. Obviously all of us, there's, there's a little bit of a, a tobacco shortage right now. And so then it hit me. I was like, well, I can't release a cigar every Sunday, obviously, even though that Sunday sauce by, by definition would evolve and change every Sunday. But and I don't have enough tobacco to make a full time line, but I can make enough cigars to release them every quarter. So when you think Sunday gravy and you think of the actual meal that happens on Sundays, Sunday gravy, the, the cigar is, is also evolving and also changing. And that's why, to, to most people's confusion, there's a new batch coming out every quarter. So I'm okay. super okay. excited about it. I mean, you guys know we get the question all the time. What's new? What's new? What's different? And the cool thing about this batch number two, which is coming out, it's actually starting to ship next week. Pecorino is a different blend. It's a different size. And yes, some people might like San Marzano better. Some people might like Pecorino better. But the cool thing is you've got something to look forward to every couple months when you go to your, your local tobacconist. There's going to be a new Sunday gravy there. So well, I was going to I was going to ask that. Product. I was going to ask about San Marzano being like the subline. I was like, is, there's there's there. Is, so is it the Sunday gravy San Marzano? And then I killed your role right here. I'm sorry, but yeah, I'm sorry. I was like, that's that's perfect. 
you know? No, I'm, I, I mean, and I get really excited about it because they're, you know, I, I feel like we're doing some cool shit because the cigar you're smoking there, Esteli Poro, that was a lot. That took many, many years. You, I've told this story that the, the tobacco and, and how we literally did something that nobody else has ever done. And Sunday Gravy in its own right, even though it's whimsical and it's fun. I mean, how cool is it to have a new cigar coming out every quarter with this small batch tobacco, this stuff that I didn't have enough to make a, a, a full time line. So to me, it's fun. I get excited about this stuff because it's different. And as a cigar geek myself, I mean, I get excited with what a lot of these other companies do. And I like to smoke new shit and I like to see, you know, uh, 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 new approaches and, and, and different blends. So to me, this, this Sunday gravy checks a lot of boxes. So there, there were a couple of questions I was going to ask about this because, um, this, the Sunday gravy, uh, concept, I was, I was really, I was, I mean, I, 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 I thought it was a different direction, obviously. Well, it was a different direction, obviously they took in a lot of different ways, you know, that being a value brands, this quarterly release, this limited or limited production and everything. So we're never going to see San Marzano again, necessarily. Right. Like that's the intent or, or right. There's this going to be this quarterly thing or. Well, you know, you never know, but I never, I never say never. Yeah. I, I did. Again, it all comes back to the tobacco. So yeah, as of right now, no, I mean, again, I'm only making a few of these things. Trust me, my company, myself, they would love if I could make a million of these cigars and 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 launch a new a new cigar every quarter. But this thing is super limited because of the tobacco. But what I would like to do is this after the, the Sunday gravy uh, franchise kind of runs out and and I'm not able to make cigars uh, for this. I would like to go back and kind of do a greatest hit. So, again, if somebody and we've got some cool initiatives in place where people can give us feedback on what batch they like the most. So yeah, if, if everybody loves San Marzano or, or they love Pecorino or they love Porcelino or Gabagool, uh, you know, it would, I would love to be able to come back out with, with, uh, with something like that. But, uh, but as of right now, no, this, once these things are gone, they're gone. It's interesting. Um, man, I was thinking, uh I'm just going to throw something out. You can, you can totally steal this or, or trash it, whatever you want it. Uh, so whenever I think of Sunday gravy, I always think of shocker because it's like the, it's like the thing for all guys. Like we go back to this film every time we, and you, you know, you did the gladiator show with me last year, but we go back, I go back to the Godfather and I always go back to the scene where, you know, before uh, um, Michael kills McCluskey and Salazzo, and Fats Clement is like talking to him, toss, teaches, teaches him about the gun. And then he's like, hey, by the way, if you ever got to fix, you know, make food for 20 guys, here's what you do. And he's teaching about how to make the sauce and stuff. And I was like, so if you ever want to make this diesel Clemenza, you know, I don't know if that's, I, like that, I don't know if that trademark's taken, but, but uh, I think that would be, that'd be a cool rendition of it. Cause I, whenever I think of Sunday gravy, I think of that scene. And, uh, but it's, no, it, this is an interesting concept because, like I said, it's a break from Sunday Gravy is a complete offshoot from like the other traditional names that we've seen. I mean, we've everything from like you know Whiskey Row, Delirium, the Disciple, the the TAA exclusive, the Esteli Puro. Like they, there's uh, it's different. Now the the other thing that's different about this too is this is a this is a value 
brand. Um, now, I, here's where you can educate me a little bit here, Justin. So, uh, and and but before you took diesel back, so to speak, I went to, and and really drove it to more of a brick and mortar presence. It was an online cigar. Before you kind of took it back and and redid this initiative and and completely redid everything. And I enjoyed diesels from the past. We've had this conversation. I always thought of diesel as a value brand. Uh, and even now it's not like, it's not like ultra premium, but it's, it's pr- like, I guess it's just, you know, it's, you know, brick and mortar premium, I guess, if I could throw a name to it, why was it important for you to kind of go back to the roots a little bit and kind of reintroduce this value proposition of, of diesel to, to, to the fans? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, 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 Everything you just said, diesel was was started and and grew because it was a a great cigar at at an honest price and it was a value cigar. Now that being said, a lot of people uh, misunderstand the the value of of a diesel cigar. So because it was what we would call a direct consumer cigar. You didn't have the markup that happens at retail or the markup that happens at, you know, where a distributor it was it was you're, you're able to basically sell it, as, which is the reason you go direct to consumer. That being said, every diesel that's ever been made has been made by A.J. Fernandez. A.J. Fernandez right. has been making diesel since day one. They've always been long, long filler tobacco. They've, they've never been a short filler. They've never been Cuban sandwiched. They've always been premium, hand-rolled, great blends from A.J. Fernandez. But the, the, the price was, was always a couple dollars cheaper because, again, you're buying them online. You're buying them through a catalog. What I've done when I took the brand over is, is we created uh, some, some, a, a pricing policy, which is pretty well known, to create a level playing field so that our retail partners and, and all of our partners uh, have a fair chance to sell this cigar at a fair price and, and not be undercut uh, by internet or, or, or by a catalog. That being said, everything that I've launched has been eight to 10 to $12. And it's been great because 10 years ago, if somebody said, yeah, we're going to sell a $12 diesel, you would have gotten laughed out of the, out of the building. Like it just wouldn't have happened. So, Thankfully, and, and thankfully to our, our loyal diesel, diesel fans out there, uh, these guys know cigars. They, they, they understand uh, what a good cigar is and what a good cigar should cost. And Esteli Puro is not super premium, but it's definitely premium. I mean, it's, it's $10, $11, $12, depending on what size you get. The Whiskey Row franchise between the Sherry Cask and the original are all between eight and, and eleven dollars, and then all the limiteds that I've come out with: Hair of the Dog, uh, Disciple, Crucible, Delirium. They've all been ten plus. So I was getting a lot of feedback from from guys like yourself that that started smoking diesel uh, years ago when it was just an internet catalog brand, and I really hadn't come out with anything in that value space in that everyday $5 banger, like something that's good, non-offensive, solid, but something that doesn't have to be a special occasion cigar, something that doesn't have to be, hey, this is my one $10 cigar that I'm going to buy this weekend. 
Um, and, and I listened and, and honestly, I really wanted to do it. I, I just, the, the reason it took me so long is to try to find the tobacco and the blend that would be a phenomenal blend, but also, uh, the cost associated with that blend wouldn't make it a $10 cigar was very challenging. Um, and, and it, it took AJ and I a while to do that, but man, I think we, uh, I think we hit it out of the park. And that was my question here, Justin, and please, please don't mistake my tone. I, 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 I just like this evolution that you've, that you've taken us on with diesel. I really have. And, and you know this, so we've spoken offline a number of times about it, but to go back with Sunday gravy, was it, was there, was there ever a fear that this was redundant? Like this was a step back maybe, or, I mean, was there ever that, that kind of apprehension or you, I mean, were you fully confident the whole way? Like, Hey, no, this isn't going back at all. This is just another, another iteration. Yeah. I think, I, I think another iteration um, is, is, is definitely the only thing that ever crossed my mind. Um, I didn't really have any fear of going back because to me, this is still part of the evolution uh, of the brand of diesel and, and especially uh, the diesel under kind of my quote control. Um, it, it, I looked at it as, as an opportunity, to be honest with you, that we've had the, the, the privilege to launch these amazing brands with these great tobacco stories that typically come at a higher price point. And I saw an opportunity to still make a great cigar with a great blend at a lower price point. Um, because I mean, we look, a lot of us in this industry, man, we like to, we get a little full of ourselves and we like to, uh, to, to toot our own horn. And, and yeah, there's a lot of guys out there that buy 14, 15, $16 cigars, but man, I, I, I'm still interested in that guy that is taking his hard earned dollars and is like really looking for a great value under eight bucks or something around that five and $6 range. And who am I to go? Oh, my brand has reached a level to where it, it, it's just, uh, uh, you know, not incumbent upon me to have a cigar of that price point. Um, I mean, I, you know, there's some, there's a lot of companies out there that don't, and that's great, but I'm not those companies. And, and my last name is, is, is not a name that's synonymous with, with cigar maker. I'm a first generation cigar maker. So, for me, man, if there's a guy that that can leave the register with a Sunday gravy and feel like he got the better end of that transaction, I'm all for it. Well, see, and to kind of follow up to that, you know, I think that that's where where you guys really start off on the right foot with Grind was because Grind was this departure, obviously, from being online only. We're going to brick and mortar. This is what we're doing with it. We're launching this whole new initiative. And Grind wasn't immediate. It didn't immediately go from online pricing to that, you know, what we're smoking now, that $12 range. Grind was a little bit in that in-between zone. So it was a really nice stair step. Yeah, and Grind was a little bit of a different animal. So so you're kind of, you're half right. So... Grind technically was never sold online. Grind was distributed uh, through Meyer and Dutch, which uh, which distributed that that brand. It was never uh, online, so that's why that was the easiest migration. Okay. Um, and and that was a brand that was pretty much fully baked. Came over, we sold it. I didn't really get involved until the whiskey row. When whiskey row came out, that was when I was involved in the blend. I was involved in the packaging. Um, so grind was a little bit of a different animal, 
but again, the price point was, uh, was a little more affordable than the whiskey road. Um, but it didn't have, again, it didn't have that history of, of guys buying it online for five, six, seven, ten 10 years prior to yeah. us selling it. So it was a good transition. So you're absolutely correct about that. Awesome. We're going to talk a little bit more diesel here in a second, but we're going to take, we're going to take this back a little bit to again, back in the day a little bit. So, um, you know, so we were talking a little bit about Halloween and our, 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 our stories from then and how it, uh, I guess it, both in some way kind of perpetuated our, our love for gambling. Um, <laughs> but, um, but uh, the, you know, the other thing about your, your childhood into all the way up into a young adulthood was, was obviously your, your biggest passion before cigars was, was baseball. And, and you grew up, you know, you grew up an Atlanta Braves fan. You're from the South, like we've talked about. And uh, um, was it, was it always the Braves? I mean, you, your, your household was Braves or did you latch on to the Braves as a kid? Um, because I have a brave story too. I'm a Red Sox fan, as everybody knows, but I have a brave story here in a little bit. But w- what was the Andrews household? Was it a Braves family? It was always the Braves, man. It's uh, it's it was always the Braves. And being in North Carolina and us not having you know our own team, we're we're a huge state for for farm leagues. I mean, we've got some of the best single A, double A, triple A venues that you can go to. And so growing up, that was that was always there. But from a professional standpoint. It was it, the States usually, you know, whoever we could drive to see. So you had people that were Baltimore Orioles fans and Atlanta Braves. But uh, but yeah, it was uh, I've, I've been a Brave from day one. Uh, and, and, and two, being uh, my mother being Cherokee and uh, and and my family, we were very proud of the fact that we had a team that we could cheer for that that we could do our tomahawk chop and stuff. So so I don't think I. I think I would have gotten kicked out of the family TP had, had I, had I been something other than a Braves fan. Well, now, now that, now the Tomahawk shop's going away, man, it's, it's a I, different time in 2021. It's nuts. You know, it is, it is, man. It is. It definitely is. And, and you can imagine my, my, uh, my stance, my passion around that. Uh, because again, it's, it's something that for us, it was, it was always prideful. So, uh, so yeah, the Braves, uh, the Braves were it, man. And, and again, you know, my past, my history with baseball, there were definitely players on other teams that I would follow and, and would, you know, become a little passionate about that team. Um, but, but for me, it's been the Braves since day one. And, and what a time for you to grow up as a Braves fan. We're, we're going to talk about the nineties Braves here in a second, but you know, growing up before, before the, before the, before that takeoff, I guess, you know, you said you grew up in a Braves household. So, like, you know, did your dad ever tell you stories about like Hank Aaron and 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 those, you know, Eddie Matthews and those guys, or was it like what what kind of what stories did you grow up on? With, well, with you know Braves? what's interesting. So my so my dad is actually uh, my dad's from the West Coast. So my dad was okay. a San Diego guy, got stationed at Fayetteville, Fort Bragg, um, and and has has been been a North Carolina transplant ever since. But even growing up on the West Coast. He was uh, he was a Braves fan, so yes. Yeah, oh. So growing up, you know stories about about Hank Aaron and and Eddie Matthews and these. I mean, it was just it was always always something when baseball season came around, and we a lot of times we couldn't get the Braves on TV, but the our local radio station uh, would carry the Braves games. So like a lot of times, me and my dad would be sitting around the radio listening to Atlanta Braves baseball. 
Um, and, and it, you know, Skip Carey and, and, and listening to uh, Don Sutton. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of good memories uh, around the Braves and childhood. And when I really became aware of Braves baseball, you're like, you're talking 91, 92, right? Man, what a, what a great time to, to really start being able to comprehend and, and retain. Um, I mean, I, I, I still have memories of, of, playing the Minnesota twins and, and hating Kirby Puckett. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all fond memories, man. The, uh, I mean, and that was what a transition, like what an instant overnight transition that was. Cause I mean, I mean, they, the Braves were the eighties were dog shit. I mean, we're, I mean, oh, we're yeah. the definition of worst to first, you know, with the, you know, the, the Doyle Alexander trade to get this kid named John Smoltz. Uh, you know, Tom Glavin, then they, they sign a free agent out of Chicago named Greg Maddox. Uh, but even that, like, it's really funny uh, hearing, and I've heard this from, I've heard interviews from all three of those guys. And if you're like, uh, um, there's this, uh, he's currently pitching for the Rays. Uh, it, it, he's a, he's, he's gone back and forth between the bullpen and starting rotations for the Mets, the Rockies, the Astros. His name's Colin McHugh. I'm sure you've heard of him. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So he has a podcast called the 12, six podcast and he interv- he's interviewed a slew of players and, and, and people around the game. And he, first of all, he's a really great interviewer. Second of all, he did a he, I got to send you the link, Justin. He did a, he did a John Smoltz interview and I, I swear to God, man, that, that interview took me back to, you know, 10 year old bear and watching the Atlanta Braves. Cause we, so we didn't have cable growing up. Right. And so, and, and I grew up in El Paso, Texas. So like talk about a person without a team either. Like we didn't really have baseball on every night. And so like my dad would tell me Red Sox stories. And so I would follow the box score in a newspaper. There's a foreign concept for a lot of people out there, <laughs> but I would follow that. But that's all I knew of the Red Sox and Mike Greenwell, this guy named Roger Clemens, Wade Boggs, you know, uh, but you know, I had, we always had the playoffs that we got to watch every year. And in the nineties, we saw a lot of Braves. So we were, uh, and my dad growing up played minor league ball for the Red Sox. That's how we, that's how we're, you know, that's, and he's from new England too. So that's how we became Sox fans. And, uh, and even though that we're, we were still a national league family. So we always rooted for the national league because it's not like the Red Sox were making the world series back then. Um, so we were rooted for the national league every year. So we became default Braves fans. So I got to know these teams really well. And so talking to guys like you and Ben Lee and stuff like it, it, I, I, uh, I, you know, it, it, it takes me back to my childhood because I mean, Braves were very much a part of my household too. We weren't a Braves house, but we were Braves fans and we followed these guys pretty religiously. So it was, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, when a, during that, during that time and everything now. So, so here's a, here's a fun question. So, um, so, okay. Silly as this might seem, who was, who are you more, who are you more excited about in those mid nineties pickups? Were you more, were you, were you a Greg Maddox guy or were you more excited? Like, like Marquise Grissom or Fred McGriff pickups, like which, like, so, so, so yeah. So in, in that time, I mean, you know how it is when you're, when you're, when you're playing little league baseball, you know, we're, we're all doing everything. We're, we're pitching, we're catching, we're, we're playing middle infield outfield. I mean, I, I was doing everything, but in those days, 
as my, my coach would tell me, I was, I was more of a, of a thrower and not a pitcher. Right. So I was, I was, I was passionate about position players. Now I was a big kid. So at like 12 years old, I was five, seven, 140 pounds. So like when I would stand on the mound, uh, you know, the, the kids would be intimidated because none of us knew where the pitch was going to end up. Oh, so you're, and, you're Randy Johnson. <laughs> yeah. So it was, you know, and, and I would have games where, you know, I'd walk four people and strike out 10 and, you know, like that's just, that's the, that's the or some games I'd walk 10 people strike out four. Um, Nuclear, Lelouch, all Bull Durham. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so at the time I was, I, of course I loved Tom Glavin. I loved, uh, 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 John Smoltz and, and all, all those guys, um, there was, uh, uh, Steve Avery, like, you know, it was, but I was a position player guy. So, so the Mark Lemke's of the world, the, the Fred McGriff, the Ron Gant, David justice. I mean, Jeff Blauser, Terry Pendleton, I can go, I can go yeah. down the list. It wasn't until I got a little bit older that I was able to appreciate what someone like a Greg Maddox, like how he was able to dominate with a, with a fastball that topped out at 88. You know, how he was able to work both corners of the plate, his two-seamer. But at the time, as like a, you know, a 10-year-old, uh, uh, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, I was definitely more into the uh, the, the position players, the, the Fred McGriffs of the world. I honestly forgot who the batter was, but I remember this, this story from this interview that I was talking about with Colin McHugh and John Smoltz. And... And John asks Greg Maddox, he gives up a bomb to somebody. And it was really like, you know, John. So he comes back into the dugout and John's like, why'd you throw that pitch there? Like, I mean, that, like, what were you thinking? You knew he was, that's what he was looking for. And, and he, and, you know, clearly he tagged. He's like, what, you know, what was going through your mind? Like, was that a mistake? Did you miss, did you miss your spot? Like, come on. You don't like it. He was just completely befuddled. It was really comical hearing John retell the story and Greg Max, you know, the, the, the college professor that he looked like just kind of looks at him dumbfounded. He's like, you, you jackass, I'm setting him up for the playoffs. <laughs> and that's how, that's how his mind worked. Like, like it wasn't, he wasn't, he was, you know, we think we talk about like the, uh, the metaphor is, uh, you know, like Japanese and Chinese culture and business, like, Americans, we look at the next, you know, fiscal quarter and like the old adage is that the, the Asian markets, they look at the next 25 years, right? You know, they, they look big picture all the way. They're always considering big picture. And that's the way that Greg Maddox played the game. And I mean, obviously was very successful at it. So, um, but you brought up Steve Avery and that was the thing about this interview too, is that, and I've heard all three of those guys say it. I've heard John Smoltz say it in this interview. I've heard Greg Maddox say it in another interview. I heard Tom Glavin say it in the interview. They'll all tell you that Steve Avery was the better pitcher. And the injury just really. man. They say, yes, I've, I've, I've heard the same thing, uh, which is, I mean, which, which I mean, what, what, a, what a group of guys to, right. to, to say that. But Steve Avery, I mean, I was just going through this. I was thinking, again, another guy that I was a big fan of was Mark Woolard's. I mean, as as a dominant closer that came in with a with a with a fastball that topped out, you know, a hundred plus uh, the, that team. I mean, you know, it does go back to obviously I, I was a big Bobby Cox guy, but it goes back to go that kind of talent 
you know, and you and 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 to walk away with one World Series is tough. Yeah. You know, and 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 as I get older and the more I appreciate those teams, because and I've heard Greg Maddox uh, say what you said earlier about setting guys up uh, for the playoffs, because, again, when you're playing these these divisional games and, and, and you're setting guys up through your 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 rotation, I mean, it, it was amazing to see these guys kind of turn it on to another gear in the playoffs and, and start working to count backwards, throwing these guys out. Cause again, when, when, when you're facing a guy, you know, whatever the number would have been back then 20, 30 times, 50, 60 times, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's amazing that he had, he had the foresight to, to go in and go, yeah, I'm setting him up for the, for the playoffs. So you're, so you looking back, at those Braves teams, the early nineties, mid nineties, all culminates in the world series in 95 was 95 your favorite memory, or did you have another Braves memory that kind of stuck with you? 90, I I would say, you know, it's so funny. I haven't, I haven't thought about a lot of this stuff in in a long time. Um, Obviously 95 was the pinnacle. And, and the thing that was kind of special to me is there were some guys on the Indians that I was a big fan, like Albert Bell, uh, uh, Kenny Lofton. I mean, uh, these, mayor of Cleveland, the, man. Yeah, these these uh, these guys were were uh, were people that I looked at. You know, so ninety five was was a big year, right? I, yeah, Kenny Kenny Lofton came and played for the Braves for a while too. Um, and that Jim that Tomei, was Jim Tomei was with the Indians back. Oh then. yeah. I mean, well, you think about the Indians like that was that was the big year, the '95. If you look at that lineup, so it's the, it was that. If you look back in history, it was that classic starting rotation versus that stacked lineup: Jim Tomey, the Alomar brothers. Oh yeah, um, you know, and the weak link of all of them, who was a master of the infield, was Omar Vizquel, who fucking batted ninth, right? And who was a, but I mean, by today's standards, like Omar Vizquel. Omar Vizquel would still have the same career that he had 25 fucking years ago. He would still have it today because he was consistent at the plate, you know, 240, 250 yep. and, and played and played, you know, the, the middle infield, like, you know, he wasn't Ozzie Smith wizard, like, but I mean, who oh, but was, he was close. but I mean, yeah. He, yeah. And, and it's those guys and Manny Ramirez was on this a young Manny Ramirez. I mean, and then the ro- their rotation was nothing to sneeze at too. They had an a- aging Oral Hershiser. They had Charles Nagy. Uh, they had uh, 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 Jose Mesa closing out that bullpen. Yes, Paul- Jose Mesa. I forgot about Jose Mesa. Yeah. Wow. Paul Ossenmacher, like the old the old guy. You know, who just like they had some. They had some. There was though that series is still. I mean, outside of my Red Sox series, like 04, 07, like all the, outside of those, like my still my most memorable World Series is 95. It still well, is. And arguably the uh, the Indians, that, that was the best lineup that we had ever faced in, in a World Series. And, and it's some of the some of the other teams that we we had played. We had a we had an easier road. But I mean, arguably, we won against our, our the, the toughest competition that we had in a World Series, which is which is kind of ironic, but, uh, but no, looking back, I mean, they're all good memories. I just, I wish we had been able to come away with a few more chips uh, oh. from, from those appearances. Oh, for sure. So um, this is my, my, I guess my last, my last Braves question and everything. So when, you know, as, as, as that kind of 
dynasty was not not dying because it went on for like another 10 years. I mean, I mean, Bobby Cox won. I mean, how many division titles in a row? Yeah. Um, and was always in the, always in the playoffs every single year. But they just didn't remember. But there was a young kid that came up at the tail end of those glory years named Andrew Jones. And. Man, what a. I mean, when we talk about peak, like someone playing at their peak at his peak. Like someone asked me, the, someone asked me the other day, like, have you ever seen another like you've probably never seen another player like Mike Trout? And I'm not saying that Andrew Jones is Mike Trout, but damn, he was close. I mean, he had five tools. He was incredible at his peak. It was a sh- shorter peak than yeah. Mike Trout has played at. But damn, damn, was he good defensively? He's 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 the he's the best center fielder of my lifetime. Like that. I mean, from from full blown, you know, of an age to where I was following every game, getting every box score. Andrew Jones, I I sat with a scout once that talked about uh, Jim Edmonds making some over-the-shoulder grabs, and they graphed out the the speed of Jim Edmonds and the distance that he covered, and they showed a similar – I mean, Bear was amazing – a similar uh, uh, ball flight from trajectory to, to off-the-bat speed, and they mapped out where Jim Edmonds – you know the famous catch. Right. He's diving over the shoulder, basket catch, catches it. They had basically mapped it out uh, and shown that Andrew Jones would have been standing there catching the ball like a routine pop-up. I mean, he made it look so easy that people just – they weren't able to appreciate his greatness. I mean, yeah. if, and you're, you are correct. His peak was a little bit shorter. He fell in love with, with the long ball, packed on some weight, but defensively – I, I it would be hard pressed to find somebody that that played the position better than he did. You know, there were a lot of players that I like look at like around that time, late nineties, early two thousands, that went out west and just never never recaptured their glory. Uh, Juan Pierre is another one from the Marlins. Yeah. Like if, like Andrew Jones, you know, but I mean, watching Andrew Jones, peak Andrew Jones was probably some of the most exciting off both like five tool baseball that you know, like I've seen in my lifetime. I, I mean, outside of Mike Trout, it's one, a one B almost, it, you know, oh, it yeah. peak, I mean, what, at peak. what a way to come onto the scene, you know, 18 year old kid. Yeah. Called up to the playoffs. Yeah. It was nuts. Hit, hitting a home run in the world series. Yeah. I mean, we all went out and bought his rookie card like that. You know, we, this was the, this was the second coming of King Griffey Jr. I mean, this was the <laughs> this was the the new kid on the block. Um, I mean, he's still, you know, I I don't know that he's a he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, if I mean, he is in my book, but uh, but it, it's yeah, it was it was quite the career. Um, and you're right, he was part of that that next generation uh, that came up and 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 really helped keep the Braves relevant. Well, so. So Andrew Jones was actually the second quote unquote kid that came up in the playoffs. Right. And I know you remember the first, I, we'd be hard pressed to talk about it. So back in 19, so 1993, they bring up this 20, the Braves bring up this 21 year old kid plays, plays eight games, nothing crazy. He goes three at bats, but he goes two for three in his major league debut essentially. 
in 93, 94, he's injured, plays minor league ball for the whole year. And then they bring up this kid in 95, places second in the rookie of the year contest named Chipper Jones. That's right. Good and old, good old, good old Larry. Yeah. Good old Larry Chipper. Jones. And so he, uh, he, you know, he kind of made his presence. And so this was the thing that I didn't really understand. Like I was still learning, like I was still learning and understanding development and stuff like that. And I remember watching the, the 95 series with my dad and I was like, Chipper Jones, Chipper Jones, why does that sound familiar? And he's like, well, he's having a hell of a year, son, blah, blah. And I was like, no, no, no. I said, he's been around for long. He's like, no, he's a rookie. And I was like, no, he's not like, he's been around for a while. And he, and so my dad and I, you know, my, you know, 12 year old bear and my dad are going at this. And so I bust out my tops cards and in 1989, he was drafted out of high school. So I had his future stars yeah. baseball card from tops. And I was like, and I was like, Oh crap. He's been playing minor league ball this whole time. And I didn't understand. I didn't quite understand it. And, uh, and then, and that's when I learned about like, you know, what minor leagues were really about and development right. of players and talent and everything. But, but I mean, that was a, that was a heck of a time too to come up. And I mean, he, I mean, he hit, you know, he played in 140 games, 23 homers, 86 RBIs, batted 265 uh, in, in his rookie year. And then the year, come, the, his sophomore campaign, he bats 309. Like, I mean, just, and Jack's 30, you know, like yeah. the guy was just, I mean, the guy was just an incredible talent. And, uh, and, you know, that, you know, that was a career that we got to see from the very beginning go all the way to, you know, and it, you know, a, a rare thing, right. We saw peak Andrew Jones and Andrew Jones moved on as we know, and fell off the map, unfortunately, but, but we got to see Chipper play for Atlanta uh, for, you know, 19 years, man. we got to, I mean, we, and even in a, in a first ballot hall of fame career, you got to see kind of the, the peaks and the valleys. I remember him getting moved to left field. Right. I remember him, you know, uh, uh, the question was, could he play third base anymore? You know, then I remember him coming back. Like I remember the injuries. I remember the years where people were questioning, why is he still switch hitting? Because his numbers were so skewed uh, mm -hmm. uh, from the right side, from the left side to the right. Um, and then to see it all kind of come back and, and him maintain a, a level of excellence was, uh, was amazing. Yeah. He, you know, again, Mike Trout is kind of the poster child right now, but, Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones, these guys are generational talents. I mean, you did yeah. there, there's not a whole lot of these guys popping up every day. No, absolutely. So some good times to be uh good times to be a Braves fan. It was in the nineties, man. We had we had a we had a lot of fun watching those games and a lot of and following those players and stuff. And some of these players are gonna come up again here in another segment. So hold on to that one. But um so wanted to go back a little bit to to some cigar chat, but before we do, so I so I it occurred to me, like you said, that was in the picture that I showed earlier of your mayhem outfit at Halloween. It occurred to me that that was, like you said, an early Instagram post, and and you still have the same screen name, just in time, just in time eleven. What what where did the where did the handle come from? Dude, it was yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, I pro you know, you would think, uh, I guess if I took my career seriously, I, pr I probably would have changed that at, uh, at some point. Um, but yeah, man, it was, uh, so, I, you know, my name being Justin, 
there's all, you know, just in time, my uncles would call me just in time or, Hey, just, it was always a thing. Um, and, and again, in the early days of Instagram, uh, which when I started my account in, in 2011, um, it was, uh, it was just in time 11. So not, <laughs> uh, not anything, uh, uh, really thought out there. And, uh, I, I, maybe it's laziness. I don't know. I've just never, it just never occurred to me to really change it or yeah, it's, it's, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not one of these guys that's going to put like, you know, Justin diesel cigars or, or, uh, I mean, I've got a lot of brands. So if I were to go that route, I could be Justin L Ray cigars, Justin Sancho Panza, Justin <laughs> Boulevard, just, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, uh, and I and I'm sure the company would probably prefer that that I, I keep as much distance between them and and myself as possible uh, on on social media. So yeah, so that was uh, that's that's the reason for the name there. Was number eleven the was that your number in, in, in no, baseball? That no. was the year. That, that was, was the, the year. Oh okay. <laughs> Justin time eleven. <laughs> what what was your uh, what was your number when you played ball? So I was, uh, like I said, I was a big kid, um, uh, not heavy, but big as I was tall. I was one of those kids that, you know, my parents had to laminate my birth certificate to take to the YMCA for my basketball because <laughs> all the parents thought I was like 16, you know, and, and so I was a tall kid, um, really athletic and, uh, and being that, and, and I was able to swing the pole a little bit. Uh, Mark McGuire was like, you know, one of my all time favorites. I played first base. So at first, so, so there's two, two things. I was a huge Jeff Kent fan for the giants because I played second base for the majority of, of my career. Even in high school, I played second base. I was really quick off the bat. Uh, I had, I had great hands and, and high school, my early, you know, probably freshman, sophomore year, I was about six foot, six one. And Jeff Kent was kind of pretty large to be a second baseman. So I was I was number 21 was my number. And then when I got switched over to first base, uh, you know, I was a big Mark McGuire fan. So I went to number 25 and then uh, ultimately in college and uh, and and in the minors, I was I was number 19. So 19's kind of stuck with me. But uh Everybody wanted to be Big Mac, and and to be Big Mac, you had to had to be number twenty five. So that was that was kind of my number for uh, for a lot of years there. So so you mentioned how you actually pro- progressed and everything. So you went you played you played all through your childhood, played high school. Did you get drafted out of high school? Was there any interest in you in in out of high school? There there was some there was some interest uh, in me. Uh, unfortunately. I was uh, I was coming home from a from a camp. I'd, I'd signed a letter of intent to play with uh, University of North Carolina out of high school. And um, coming home from that, I actually got uh, I, I got hit by a drunk driver, um, and and kind of kind of had some 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 adverse effects, as you can imagine. Um, so that that happened. My I was I was uh, that happened in the fall. So right as I was going in to be a senior. Um, and so once that happened, um, you know, I missed my senior year and, and so I had to do, had to recover from that. So that kind of took me off, uh, off anybody's draft board there. Um, but thankfully was able to, to make a full recovery 
and and continued the career a little bit a little bit of a detour a little later than than I had expected. Um, but no, no, I was I was I was not drafted. That was the that was the goal though uh, was to uh, to be drafted. So some of the guys that I played with on my team got drafted, which was cool. Uh, but yeah, we had a good we had a good group of guys. Anyone um, we know? And, uh, no, I, I wouldn't think so. We had one of the guys I played with, Jeremy Jones, uh, was, uh, he went on to play at, uh, HBCU North Carolina A&T and was the, uh, was the HBCU, pl- uh, national baseball player of the year, uh, was second team all American. Um, he got drafted a couple times. He got drafted out of high school, uh, got drafted his junior year, uh, when was part of the, uh, the Mariners organization for a while. Um, I was, uh, let's see who, uh, I, well, I, yeah, I played in a, I played in a summer league with Josh Hamilton as he was coming back from, from rehab. So Josh, oh, is, from, Josh is from Sanford, North Carolina. I'm from Fayetteville. They're about uh, 20 minutes apart. Uh, and it was funny because all of us knew of, he's a, he's a couple years older than I am, obviously, but he was, he was part of the, the group that was just ahead of mine. And we all knew him. We all watched him play. And when he was coming back from rehab, uh, he was playing in this summer league. I mean, way before any type of, of major league rehabilitation was coming. And they would let him play in our league, but he wasn't allowed to, to, to pitch. <laughs> that was the only, the only <laughs> caveat. So, so I can say I, 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 played, against, uh, I played against him. Um, I played with uh, uh, Lonnie Chisenhall, who had a good career with the Cleveland yeah. Indians. Uh, for a while, um, a guy named Seth Manus, who was a closer for the uh, for the Cardinals. But these are all guys that either played in tournaments with, played against, not necessarily on 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 my travel team. Um, I did play against uh, Jacoby Ellsbury. I remember a, Jacoby, AU, yeah. AU national tournament. Um, so yeah, so it's a pretty. It's 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 cool to look back and and see. You know, at the time we're all, you know. 16, 17 years old to see how these guys have uh, how their careers ended up. So, I, I never knew about the accident, Justin. Um, so, I mean, was it was it was it upper body injuries? Was it lower body injuries? Was it all of the above? I mean, it was it was all of the above, man. It was it was it was pretty rough. So, I had some leg injuries, uh, had some shoulder injuries, uh, had a pretty uh, severe head injury as well. So I'm very, very thankful that I had some uh, some angels around me that night uh, to protect me. The the drunk driver who hit me actually uh, died in the uh, in the accident, um, and and more often than not, you know, the sober person is the one who uh, who, who who passes away. So I was definitely blessed and and fortunate to to still be here. So you know, a lot of I, I get asked about it a lot. A lot of people, you know. Because obviously, it'd be natural to be bitter and, and and be angry, but I'm 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 thankful that I was able to uh, to make it through it. Because uh, as you can as you can tell, all of us have probably got a, a story or two that m- more more often than not, uh, I I wouldn't still be here today. So uh, very That's blessed. Sure. And and you still got to live out your dream to a extent. You played professional ball. I mean, you didn't make it to the show, but I mean, I mean, you got to play professionally. I mean, that's. Uh, even after that, I mean, that's, that's incredible. Well, I, you know, I owe a lot to baseball because uh, during that, during those, those times, you know, it, it's, it's tough. You see people, I mean, I couldn't walk, I couldn't move, uh, had two years of basically intense physical therapy 
to, to get back to where I could, uh, could regain all my, all my abilities, but having baseball gave me something to, to fight, gave me something to fight for, um, gave me a purpose, uh, gave me something to, to, you know, get up every day and go to physical therapy and push through the pain and, and manage the setbacks. And, you know, we talk about sports a lot, obviously we're, we're sports guys, but there's so much more to sports than just sports. It's so much more than a game. And so for me as a teenager who had one goal, one dream to have that taken away, but still have the ability to say, hey, if, if, if I work hard and, and with a little bit of luck, I can still kind of live out this dream, whatever version of, of the dream will be. And thankfully, I was able to do that. But had I not been involved in sports, had I not you know, and I did everything. I had baseball, basketball, football. Um, obviously, I had, had my future was in baseball. But had I not had that, I don't know if I would have been able to push through a lot of the setbacks and adversities from being in, in that type of accident. So so I'm very, very thankful that uh, baseball, baseball's been good to me. It was, we had a we had a bad break up there a few years ago, but we've gotten past it. And uh, I, uh, I, I look, look back, it's uh, it was a lifesaver for sure. So you were committed to UNC. You obviously didn't go right. You you ended up playing at East, East Carolina, right? Did did not well. So I was uh, by the time I I was I was medically cleared to uh, to to play baseball. I was uh, uh, the ripe old age of twenty. So I was a twenty year old uh, high school graduate that uh, was enrolling in in college, and I had a lot of colleges that obviously were were really interested in me in high school. Um, but once something like that happens, I mean, and, oh, yeah. you know, you know, it's, 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 you take two weeks off from, from BP and, and hitting it's baseball is not like riding a bike. So it was pretty unheard of for someone like myself to have taken, uh, to be away from the game for two years, you know, two critical years as well. Yeah. Um, so, so a lot of, a lot of schools that used to uh, send me Christmas cards and birthday cards and, uh, randomly show up at my church on Sunday, uh, politely declined to, uh, to give me a chance. And, uh, so what I did, I went, uh, I went and played Juco baseball for, uh, for two years, just to, just to see if I still had it honestly. And, and I had two good years. And at that point, you know, I'm 22 years old. And so rather than, uh, going and, and, and trying to go play D1, and then not being able to be able to be drafted until my junior year, I had an old scout from from the Marlins that had had watched me all through my career, basically in high school, uh, gave me a chance to to basically be a, a unsigned free undrafted free agent uh, invitee to, uh, to spring training, and so uh, you know you're 22, uh, it's it's they they throw a little money at you, and and I knew my window was closing. Um, and I'm sure you know this, but at baseball, you know, most guys, most, most programs, most organizations, it's, they calculate about four years of development it'll take mm -hmm. to get you to the show. Right. So as had I gone to college, had I gone and transferred to a, a bigger program, you know, at that point I would have been 23, 24. It's, you know, my, my window was shut. So I had my one opportunity. Um, I took it, like I tell people, it, it was shorter than, than a Cuban coffee. But, uh, but I, but I was there. So, uh, it was, it's nothing, nothing but love, nothing but, but good memories for sure. 
a great story, man. What a, what a story of perseverance, man. That's, that's awesome. It's, I, I never knew that. I never knew that story about you, man. That's fantastic. Um, you know, so to kind of compare it to, you know, it, it's incomparable, but to compare it to like someone modern day, like there was a this really great talent, you know, I'm from Texas here. So I got to see this kid named Jerkson Profar come up in the Ranger system. And this guy was the number one, one number one prospect in all of baseball. And like he was going to be the next big thing. And he missed two years because of injury. Nothing nearly, nothing nearly as you know, traumatizing, horrific as yours. But like you said, those are critical years. Those are critical years of development. And then he, I mean, he's still in the show. He plays for the Padres. He's a journeyman, you know, plays infield, plays outfield. And, 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 and that's, you know, I mean, he made it, he made it to the show, but, and, and has had a career. So, but yeah, those, those critical years can, can really completely throw it off and everything. Um, you know, there was, yeah, another, there's, go ahead, please. Well, I was just going to say, I actually, uh, you being a Red Sox fan, it just uh, occurred to me. I played with a guy named Blake Maxwell, who was a submarine pitcher, big guy, about six, eight from Fayetteville. And he, uh, he bounced around, but he was in the, the Red Sox organization for man. I think it was like probably seven, eight years. Yeah. I remember um, the name. Yeah, I, th- I think he may have had a had a had an appearance or two uh, in the show. Not completely sure, but a, but a journeyman who 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 stuck it out and and gave it his best. When 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 I had to you know make the decision to hang up my cleats, it was it, there was still an opportunity there to to kind of try to give it a go. But I the odds were I would have I would have been a thirty year old guy that was still bouncing around um, because I knew I knew my time had passed, but. I have a, I have a huge appreciation and a lot of respect for the journeyman and the guys that never gave up on the dream that said, Hey, in, in spite of, you know, adversity, the odds or whatever. And, and you've seen, I mean, we've, we've all seen the stories where the guy, you know, not too recently was, I think he'd been in the minors for like 12 or 13 years and, and got called up a second baseman. I can't remember the team. So there's, you know, it's for the love of the game, man. And that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, those, those great stories. There's a lot of them in baseball. That's the great thing I love about baseball. There's, 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 everyone's got a story and everyone's got a saga, and it's, it's just, uh, it, it, it's fun to kind of see, you know, whether they make it all the way to the show, or whether they just make it. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. It just in, in a not so similar way, but similar in the term of similar in the sense of unconventional. Your, your rise and into, I mean, let's call, let's call, you know, STG what it is. I mean, it's, it's one of the top companies in the world for premium scars. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you came to STG as through the boutique world and, and, you know, it, it wasn't like you had this long tenured career in boutique manufacturing and, and brand development or anything like that. I mean, it was, I mean, it, it, to equivalent to baseball terms, it was like a cup of coffee almost. And then, and then you get called up to the quote unquote bigs, right? No, no disrespect to you, the previous brand you worked for in no way, shape or form. Cause it, it was really great that what you, the run that you had, but you know, to, to get this chance with STG and, and, and then they hand you this really challenging project with diesel. We've kind of been around that in our last time that we, we spoke together on the show. Um, but so, and then in the last year, so, so general makes this split, we've got general cigars and their brands 
And then now there's this new company called Forged and Diesel is under this umbrella. So talk a little bit about why the decision was made. I know this wasn't your decision, but why was the decision made to to make this brand delineation? Like what's what's the difference between what we commonly refer to as general and now with Forge? Because I think people still refer to Diesel, Bolivar, and Sancho Pons and every like these brands that you mentioned a moment ago, they refer to them as general brands. But really they're forged. This is a completely different animal. Yeah, it you know, we are we, we are arguably the largest uh, cigar company on the planet and and we have a lot of brands, um, a lot of legacy brands, a lot of new brands, a lot of a lot of the household names. Um, and as we continue to evolve and, and innovate, you know, it, it was becoming more and more challenging for, you know, one sales rep to go to, to one retailer and, and try to sell 27 different brands. Um, and and we, all these brands you know, we want to give them as much attention as we can, as, as, as much uh, nurturing and, and development as possible. And it's and it's hard to do that because, again, we're we're in a portfolio aspect. We're very top heavy with with a lot of the brands like, you, you know, Macanudo, CAO, Punch, Cohiba, La Gloria Cubana, Partagas, uh, Diesel. Um, so it was it was there was a lot of brands that we just we weren't able to pay the amount of attention to the uh, attention to them that we wanted or that they deserved. And so basically what Forge became is, is a, a, a distribution house. So for, you know, all of us work for STG uh, marketing um, and sales, but, but Forge now we've got with through Forge, we've got the ability to have a separate sales force that has a separate focus. And some of these brands, that are not as big as, as the ones that I previously mentioned now get some of the attention that they deserve and, and get that focus. So that was, that's the key driver with Forge is we wanted to really, really support our, our brick and mortar retailers, uh, really give them a better opportunity with our brands. And again, it's, it's, it, you know, our guys have, have big territories. And so now we're through this separate sales organization um, we're able to really service our retailers in a, in a deeper way. So one brand that I'm really excited about to see new breath launched into it is Bolivar. And I know this necessarily isn't your, your brand specifically, but that, that is something I'm really excited about. I hope you guys, I hope you guys make a turn for it because Bolivar is one of my favorite, uh, is one of my favorite brands like historically uh, and it's one that hasn't gotten, like you said, a lot of attention over the years because you've got so many, you know, it's, you know, you have me, you've only got even the largest company in the world only has so much people, so many people, so much bandwidth. Right. right. And, and it, you know, it's one of those things, but that one I'm really excited about. And it sounds, it seems like uh, from guys like they're working alongside you, they're like Nat, Nate McIntyre and a couple of others, that are really kind of putting their, their, their foot on the gas a little bit with Bolivar and a couple of these other companies. So I'm, I'm hoping it, it really turns into something because it'd be great well, to see some of those come back to form. I, uh, so I took over the Bolivar brand uh, two years okay. ago. Right. Um, and uh, so I launched the Bolivar Cofredia, uh, which we launched uh, last year in May, um, which, you know, again, is a challenging year to, uh, to launch something, but we, we, you know, we had the inventory, um, but I went through and, and Boulevard to me is, is one of the most aesthetically pleasing presentations out there. It's very classic. 
you can, if, if you see Boulevard Cofredia in, in retail, you can see where a lot of, a lot of these companies got the inspiration for their, their brands and their design and their packaging from Boulevard. Um, it, it's again, it's a brand that's been around for a long time. I, I, I wish I could, uh, could give you the full details, but unfortunately we're, we're a couple months out, but I've, I've, uh, there'll be some exciting news coming out, uh, in the, in the coming months with, with Boulevard. I've, uh, as you know, I lead this collaboration division, uh, within our company. Um, and so I've collaborated with, with one of my favorite cigar makers on the planet. And, and we're going to have a, have a new, uh, Boulevard offering coming out pretty soon. So you guys will be, you'll be very excited. Is that AJ? Is that, or can you, are you allowed to say, or am I? No, it's not that? AJ. No. Oh, okay. So it's, it's uh, obviously uh, we collaborate a lot with AJ, but through this, uh, through this collaboration division that, that I'm, I've been fortunate enough to kind of, kind of lead. We've uh, you know, we did the war zone with Eric Espinosa. I uh, did the, uh, the Cohiba Serie M with, with El Titan de bronze and we've got a we've got a few more coming out uh, in in the coming months. So, and Boulevard is one of those brands that that we're going to have some fun with. So, uh, oh, that's great! So I'm excited. I'm excited to hear that that Boulevard is one of the brands that uh, that you like. And and Nate and and the rest of the gang at at Forge will uh, will be. They are they 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 kind of have an idea of what's coming, but they'll be they'll be excited. So yeah, Boulevard is one of the brands that that I've been working on a lot here lately, just to try to to bring it back to, uh, to top of mind for a lot of folks. And the, the cigars are awesome. The blends are great. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited about the things that we're doing with that brand. Will, will you permit me a guess? If I already guessed AJ, but would you permit me another guess? Am I, can I, can I oh, do you that? Can, you, you're, you're free to guess all you okay. want. I'm just, okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not going to give you uh, any indication of, of who it would be. That would spoil the surprise. Well, that's and, that's fair and, enough. That's fair enough. Well, and, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put it out here. Uh, and, I'll, and, uh, you know, if you want to blink twice for yes, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think, I think the initiative that you started with Espinosa and, the, you know, this uh, introducing these boutique manufacturers and giving them the spotlight, if you will, and, and introducing some of these classic long tenured brands, a kind of, revitalization with this is pretty cool um but um bolivar it'd be interesting to see who you'd work with on that i i think it would be like so you know you were talking about uh we we talked about aj and it's the the signature that he provides and i was actually going to ask you about this so i think this is a good time to talk about it but like you you know you you partner with espinoza and i know there's some history with some of the folks over there including Jack Taranio. And I know you've been a fan of their stuff for a long time and they have Lazona cigars has that, that signature flavor, that signature pack, uh, signature thing too. It would kind of be a one, it almost, almost kind of a like one eighty If you worked with somebody like, you know, like Tapsa or like a Dion Giolito of Illusione or something like that. And so I, I think that would be an interesting, an interesting take or a divergence onto uh well, that's yeah. I mean, the thing about all these guys that and the, and the guys that I kind of gravitate to, they have a signature style. They have a, a signature flavor profile there that they go for. And and obviously, I'm I'm a big fan of. I've mentioned it on your show before. I'm a big fan of a lot of a lot of people that 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 do things a little bit differently 
than than the the rest of the crowd. So, uh, I mean, Dion Dion would be on anybody's list to to work with. Uh, these guys, Matt Booth is on anybody's list. Uh, Pete Johnson. I mean, the the list goes on and on sure. and on. My thing that I'm excited about is one of my main reasons for kind of leading this this collaborative initiative here was to one we've got we've got a tobacco library that a lot of these guys don't have access to the type of tobacco that we've got and so to be able to take someone like Eric Espinosa, Jack Tarano, Hector Alfonso, take them to our factory and and give them the ability to work with a Cameroon wrapper which which previously to Warzone they they weren't able to work with that's the things that get that keep me going that get me excited I also, you know, want to show people that, that the artisanship and the craftsmanship that we have at our factories and also highlight their brands as well, because I, you know, I subscribe to the to the belief that a, a high tide raises all boats. And we we're such a such a small industry and all of us, I mean, are, are friends and family. And, and I mean, even Jack, you know, Jack worked for me at General Cigar. Now Jack works for Eric at Espinosa. I spoke, smoke Espinosa cigars. They smoke our cigars. You know, the, the list goes on and on and on. We're just, it's, it's, it's a great industry to be in. And I love, I love what these guys do. And, and I'm excited the opportunity to be able to work with them, not only at our factory, but work with them at their factories or the factories that they work with. So it's, it's going to be it's, as shocking as it was to, to see a general cigar rep walk in and, and sell a box of cigars that had Espinosa on it. Um, that's just the beginning. So you're, you're, there's going to be some shock value coming out with this stuff that, that I want to do. And, and, and Barry, you know me better than most. Um, I, I like to be disruptive. And uh, I, I love when people message me and go, what the hell are you doing? That, to me, that's a win. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, even, even, our, even our pal Coop. Coop was like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. How is it a collaboration? And I love that. I absolutely <laughs> love that. It's my favorite thing because, you know, for years, the, the perception was that, that we were just the same old general. We did the same thing. We had these massive brands. And I think over the last few years, uh, uh, we've been able to show you guys that we're innovators and that we can do some pretty cool shit. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and working with, with a lot of my friends in the industry, um, which you will see next year. Uh, we've got some, we've got some exciting stuff. I, I wish I could give you all the, all the juicy details because uh, I'm, I'm like a kid at Christmas. I, you, well, I don't have kids, but I imagine it's like a parent. <laughs> you're sitting there and you're like, your kid's about to unwrap the present. And you're like, this little fucker's about to get excited because I, I know what's in that packaging. So I, I'm, I'm the same way. Like I know what's coming. I know what I've been working so hard on for the last two years. And uh, I, I can't wait for you guys to uh, to see what what's in store. And, and ultimately, it's about the cigar. So I'm I'm geeked out about some of the blends we've been working on. And uh, I think you guys will be pleasantly surprised. And there'll be a lot of people out there going, what the fuck is Justin doing? So I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. Well, yeah, I think we're all flutter about that. So as long as I don't find out from Cigar Aficionado this week. That there you go. <laughs> as long as I don't find that out then, that's cool. No, but the, go back to the bowl because I am excited about Bolivar. I am. And that's cool that something cool is coming down the pike. But, you know, with the release of, you know, uh, 
Comfortito that came out last year and everything. It was it was pretty quiet. Um, you know, was that was that kind of intentional by y'all because Forge was this new thing and and y'all wanted to kind of stair step it a little bit, or was it you know because of COVID did it quiet it down? Like what? It was I, it was it was COVID. Um, it definitely was COVID because you know again at the time when when I launched Comfortito, you're talking uh, May of 2020. Um, it was, it, you know, our, our, our reps were not on the streets, uh, you know, the world was shut down. And so it, we weren't able to kind of, uh, you know, put it in the mechanism and, and, and really launch it and support it in the same way. But we did it because our, our retail partners needed product. A lot of people didn't have product. This product was ready. Um, and so I went ahead and said, yeah, let's, let's, let's let it out there now. One of my other brands, El Rey del Mundo, um, is, is, is what we launched with Forge. So that was, you know, that was the beginning of this year. That was February of this year. Um, so as you can tell, they keep me, they keep me busy over here. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was one of, that was the first brand that we actually launched uh, through the distribution effort of, of Forge. Well, something we are able to talk about tonight. This is something you and I were talking about a little bit before the show, and this is kind of, this is exciting news. So we were talking about your unconventional pathway to your position in general, STG. They hand you diesel. You've taken this thing for a ride, and it's it's done extraordinarily well. And a lot of a lot of opinion makers, myself included, in this industry, Justin, you know, for all I know, for all the ball busting that you take, and I know I, I know your uh, you know your reputation with Aaron Loomis preceding it, but everything, but the work that you that, that you've done with diesel has been incredible and and now with with forged and taking some over these brands and, and moving them along they're uh stg's doing the right thing so they're they're they are officially promoting you you are you are going to be taking on a new role and a new position so why don't you tell us a little bit about this because this is exciting when you told me i was super stoked for you and i couldn't i couldn't think of anyone more deserving at your company with all respect to your colleagues because you've got some incredible people that you work with but I could not think of anyone more deserving of a promotion than you. Well, I, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, we usually uh, we usually give Coop the scoop, but uh, I think you're, you're getting the you're getting the the bear exclusive here. We've got to come up with something something that gives you the uh, that has a nice little ring to it. But no, so and and uh, it's it's a few hours before the the announcement will be made. But yeah, my my company's given me another opportunity to, uh, to, to grow and, and take on a new challenge. Uh, but I, but I'm now, uh, and it's funny, I can't even remember the title cause it's so, it's so new, but uh, I'm, I'm basically, I've, I've been promoted where I'm in charge of, of new product development, both, uh, both within the company and, and outside of the company. So as, as you know, as, as the, the largest uh, premium cigar company, on the planet and with the amount of factories we do, not only do we make cigars for ourselves, we make cigars for a lot of other people. Um, and, and, and so, and through the relationships that I have with these other companies, um, I've, I've now been given the opportunity to kind of be in charge of, of producing cigars for, for other companies. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. There's, there's a lot of like corporate lingo that, that I won't uh, bore you guys with, but the, the, the nuts and bolts of it is, I, I'm a cigar maker. That's what I enjoy doing. And now I've got the opportunity to not only make cigars for, for SDG and the brands that I manage, but I, I'm also given the opportunity 
to make cigars with, with some of our manufacturing part with, with all of our manufacturing partners. Um, so whether that's uh, cigar shops that have private label product um, that, that are produced at our factory or, or some of my dear friends in the industry that, uh, that use our, our, our tobacco in our factories to produce their cigars. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, at, at, at some point, I think Skip Martin said it, we we're, we're all a little surprised that I've lasted this long. <laughs> so, so it's, it's nice that they still see some, see some value uh, in me and I, and I haven't uh, uh, worn out my welcome just yet. So, so That's I'm excited awesome. and uh, I'm excited the opportunity. It's uh, it's always a challenging thing with, with SDG that they, they don't ever give me a layup. So it's uh whether it's whether it's diesel or, or or making cigars for other people, there's always a challenge. But uh, but I'm excited. So the uh, the the announcement for it will be will be coming out tomorrow about that. So yeah. So you what? It's almost 12:30 here on the on the East Coast. So you're you you get a couple hour uh, advance on the on the press release there. That's fantastic. So is it like a director of collaborations or like what's the I mean, like you said, you couldn't necessarily. So it's all it's it 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 all. Uh, so now kind of under my umbrella. Is a few things. So you've got the brands that I manage, some that that are that are more well known than others. Diesel being one of those, um, but there's also brands like Boulevard and El Rey de Mundo, and 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 the list goes on and on. And then under that, under my responsibility, is also the collaboration. So again, our collaborations with other factories like El Titan de Bronze, our collaborations with with other manufacturers like Eric Espinosa, and a few more that'll be coming out here in the in, in the next couple of months. And then also developing cigars for, uh, for, for other manufacturers as well. So, wow, so exciting. I'm excited My you know, it's, it's, it's all part of the creative process and, um, man, I got to tell you, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm tickled to death that I, I now 100% of my focus will be, will be making cigars, um, for, like I said, not only myself, but, but for some other companies out there. That's absolutely beautiful. That's wonderful, Justin. Congratulations. Well deserved. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, your your uh your invite to join your show, the the timing was good because uh yeah, this is uh this this will be a busy week for me, but but excited uh and uh celebrated a little bit this weekend. So excited to start this new chapter. That's wonderful. Does so will you still be working with diesel or is that gonna be handed off to somebody else now? I will. So diesel is uh, diesel's kind of kind of my my baby here. So as long as uh, as as long as I'm I'm still uh, willing and able, um, I'll I'll continue to work on diesel. That's wonderful. That's good news for all those diesel fans out there for sure. Well, moving this right along into a couple more of our fun segments here uh, as we start to to close out tonight's show, Justin Kent. You know, we always like to do our one must go segment. So I thought we'd go back down a little memory lane a little bit. We talked a little Braves. So I thought we would uh, we would do a Braves one must go a little bit. So we're going to do the we're actually going to do two editions of this. We're going to do uh, we're going to do uh, uh, pit pitchers. And we're also going to do uh, infielders. I thought those okay. were the, probably the, some of the more random ones. I'm a big Ron Gant fan, but I left the outfielders out of this because we we talked about. Uh, um, we talked about, uh, uh, some of the other, you know, Andrew Jones and a couple of other players and stuff. So let's, this was, I'll get the hardest one out of the way. We'll do the pitchers first. So you remember the rules of one must go. One's got to go. Okay. Oh, so I know this, this one's going to be the hard one. This one's the most brutal. Okay. 
but the next one I think is going to be a little fun too. But so we're going to talk pitchers. So the big three, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, and Greg Maddox. Which one's got to go? And I'm going to participate, man. I'm going to put myself on the firing line too. It's it's so it, it's so. I mean, it's the hard one. It's the hard yeah, one. Yeah, it's, it's it's really difficult. I you know uh, Glavin. What we always called Glavin the mechanic. Uh, that's uh, I believe that was his. That that was uh, Glavin's uh, nickname. You know, you had Mad Dog Maddox. Uh, I I would be inclined to say John Smoltz, but I remember like it was so cool that John Smoltz revived his career coming in, you know, as a closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of the most Tommy dominant John. closers. Yeah, one of the most dominant closers for a few years. That split finger fastball. God, that's tough, Bear. I would if 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 you had a gun to my head, I would probably I would probably say say Tom Glavin just because I I normally would be Smoltz, but just because he was able to kind of come back and, and reinvent himself. Uh, Maddox, of course, is untouchable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So if one had to go, it would probably be Tom Glavin. Yeah. It's, so I, I have similar thoughts as well. The, the John, this John Smoltz career is so important to baseball today. Because the prominence that Tommy John surgery now has, but before then, before John Smoltz, John Smoltz gave everybody hope because before John Smoltz, if you had Tommy John surgery, it was it. That's right. It was over. Your, your career was done. You know, Nolan Ryan could have done it when he blew his, when he blew his arm out on that last pitch that he threw, it was like fucking 104 miles an hour. Um, You know, Tommy John, obviously himself, um, you know, it just was, it was a death sentence and John Smoltz came back and not only reinvented himself once, but twice again, cause he came back as a, one of the most dominant closers in the game. And then he went back to starting and was still yeah. damn, still damn good. Yeah. So John Smoltz has absolutely got to stay. I, I am a huge, huge fan of all three of these guys, but I am a Greg Maddox guy. Um, I, it was so great to watch him pitch all those years and for all those teams too, even when he went out West, the Dodgers, the Padres, um, and just seem kind of, you know, you know, I still have fun and still be dominant with his, you know, we saw him at his peak throwing 88, which was (laughs) something to behold. But I mean, if he hit 85 on the gun in those latter years, it was a, it was a, (laughs) that was, that was, that was a good night for him. It was a good night for for him, man. So, so Tom Glavin's got to go. Uh, and, but man, I, I just remember watching all three of those guys and just awe every single time they took them out. It was just, they were incredible. Absolutely incredible. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was great to, to see those. That was the, t- that was the tough one. So, so we both picked, we both picked Tom Glavin to go begrudgingly. Begrudgingly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So here's the fun one. Now these guys, none of these guys are hall of famers. But they were part of this this mid you know this early to mid '90s Braves run, and they were staples in the lineup every single night. And they're great cast of character, good baseball guys. You, you know, you hear about all these guys now. There's you know there's some with like off the field issues and stuff. None of those, none of the Braves guys really had that. None of the Braves. And but these three guys, I, I feel like these were almost in the background. If you weren't a Braves fan, they're almost forgotten but they were so good at their during that time. Everybody was so good. So here are those infielders. Here we go. 
Jeff Blauser, Mark Lemke, and Terry Pendleton made up that left side of that. We left, I left off the first baseman before Chipper Jones. There was Terry Pendleton. So we got Jeff Blauser, Mark Lemke, Terry Pendleton. Which one's got to go? Oh, man. So Mark Lemke. So those three guys uh, were, were my first, like, memories of, of Braves baseball. I remember I had, like, uh, I forget the baseball game on my Nintendo. Um, MLB, I forget. But I remember, like. World like, Series baseball on Sega. World Seri- yeah. Yes, on Sega. On Sega, World Series baseball. And I remember I had a phenomenal year one year with Jeff Blauser. He was batting like 340, hit a couple bombs. Like Jeff Blauser was one of my all-time favorites. To bring this full circle, when I was in high school, uh, we used to always go to uh, and play baseball in the Terry Pendleton showcase camps. And so Terry Pendleton, you know, he's been around for a while. Obviously, uh, Braves hitting coach for a long time. Mark Lemke was one of my favorite Um Got a funny story I can I can tell you uh, sometime when we're off air about Mark Lemke and and uh, yeah yeah that's that's for another day but um, if I had to, if I had to pick I was definitely more of a Blouser and Lemke guy than 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 Terry yeah I I I don't know what it was about Terry Pendleton I love that guy um, I thought he was just a great player uh, for no particular reason. All these guys. I mean, when you look at their when you look at their career lines, they were for the most part pretty forgettable. Two forty six career average for Lemke. Uh, I mean, but yeah. I remember I remember Lemke hitting a bomb in the World Series, and yes. that was that was pretty cool. Hitting from the number two spot. This was before yes. the number two spot. Now the number two spot is almost like this. Uh, this this it's the new number three or, or new number three hitter. The number two like that's where Trout hits a lot. You know, Bryce Harper hits a lot in the two spot. Some other players that are like some of the greatest hitters in our time right now are hitting out of that number two spot. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting how the evolution of, of, of the game, like the Red Sox tonight, uh, Kyle Schwarber hit lead off. I mean, yeah, I it, mean, it's, it's, Kenny Lofton's rolling over, like, like thinking, what it's, the it's, it's all data driven now. I mean, it all goes back to Moneyball. It's amazing that the analytics have become, you know, cause again, baseball is, is, traditional baseball doesn't like change. I mean, it, you know, there's still the DH debate, but, but getting driven by analytics. Now these guys are, are plugging holes in different places and, and, and they're running these, these simulations to show that now the output from that, from that number two slot is so important when it comes to things like advancing the runners. And, and it's, and a lot of it is still kind of, kind of the old days, you know, when, when I played, your number two guy was was working the count, was was hitting behind the runner, and now they're putting some studs there. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see the evolution of of the game for sure. Yeah. So, despite my love for Mark Lemke, I, he's the one that's got to go for me. Uh, I'm I, I just love Jeff Blauser. I loved Terry Pendleton. Uh, and I just the all three of those guys and that. Those brave teams for me will always hold a soft spot in my heart. I love those guys, every single one of them. And we got World Series baseball and Sega Genesis. Man, took them, took them to the series because there was nobody on the Red Sox team that I really wanted to be. <laughs> so it's just, um, and I, you know, even as much as I followed the Red Sox and the box scores in the paper, which again, foreign concept to everybody that's listening, like I knew every single player on that Braves roster just like I knew everybody on the Red Sox roster. Like I knew them like the back of my hand, and it was really really 
Really cool. And then this, this has been a lot of fun tonight, kind of going back and think, talking to someone who actually got to see a lot of those players play a lot more than I did and, and, and kind of grew up with them as well. So that's, that's kind of been fun. So that was our one must go. Uh, of course, always sponsored by uh, United Cigar, brought to you, uh, featuring La Gian Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabe and Byron line. So smoke one today and start living United. Now, this is, uh, we're coming up next uh, in two weeks. We're, I'm taking next week off. My sister's getting married, but uh, in two weeks, we'll be coming up on the one year anniversary of this next segment, which I'm, I'm, I can't believe it's been a year, but I'm really excited about it. You've had the opportunity to participate twice in it now. So you're going to bring, you're bringing back uh, your charity of choice. This is my charity segment where I, I fe- we feature a nonprofit or charity of my guest choosing and bring a little spotlight, raise a little money for a good organization. And uh, you've selected once again, uh, your friend, uh, Brian Berman, who uh, former head of CRA is now head of Project Manana. Um, so Justin, you know, I, I know you talked a little bit about it last time, but for those who haven't listened or heard the, sto- the great story about what Brian's doing with Project Manana, why don't you tell us a little bit about why it's important to you and, and, uh, and uh, spotlight it a little bit. Yeah, it's it, it's a it's a charity that's near and dear to my heart. I've uh, been supporting it for a long time. Brian was was one of the first guys I met in the industry back in 2010. Um, really helped support me and and my brand at the time. Um, so we go we go way back. And uh, Brian basically gave everything up uh, in the cigar industry and in his professional life uh, to move down to the Dominican with his wife, who was from the Dominican. And they started this charity that um, they've created schools, uh, they've created after after school programs, uh, missionary work, food banks um, right there in the Dominican Republic. Uh, I can't say enough good things about it. Fortunately, our industry has has been supporting him. Uh, Carlito Fuente and the, and the Fuente Newman family are big supporters of, of what he does. Uh, guys like Rocky Patel. Um, the guys like my old partner, Lou Rodriguez has, uh, has done a lot for, for, for this organization, but it's such a selfless act and, and he is investing in the future of the kids in the Dominican Republic. And, and these, you know, we're, we're so fortunate here in the States, even those, you know, the, the people who have, uh, the least of us, you know, are, are still so fortunate to, to be here and have the resources that we have. And, and as you know, Bear, I, prior to COVID, I would spend about half my year uh, between our factories. So I would spend uh, months in Nicaragua, months in the Dominican Republic, months in Honduras. So I get to see some of the challenges firsthand. Uh, and, and to have someone like Brian that, that made the, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, who lived uh, outside of LA uh, worked for big companies and and was a was a influential guy in our industry and to give all of that up and to move to the Dominican and and devote his life uh, to the betterment of others and and especially the youth of of the Dominican Republic is is something to be uh, uh, proud of and to be celebrated. So yeah, Project Manana. Um, I sponsor some kids down there. Uh, they've got oh, a couple. They've, they've got a couple different uh, options for people that that you can you, you know again anything helps. But you can you can do thirty dollars a month. You can do sixty dollars a month, which basically that sixty dollars a month feeds 
clothes and educates a kid for an entire year. Um, so there, it's, a, it's a really good organization and, and they're doing some great things. Um, it's a very transparent organization. So you see where your dollars are going. Um, and uh, yeah, he's been doing it for, uh, for man for, I think, probably eight years now, seven, eight years. Um, but, uh, but yeah, big supporter. Um, so if you guys look it up, Project Manana, and again, Brian Berman, uh, he's on social media. It, he's friends with everybody in the cigar industry. So if you, if you, if you look them up, you're going to have some mutual friends in common if you're not friends with them already. But yeah, give, give his, uh, give his charity a, a, a look. And, and uh, like I said, any, any donation or any type of continual giving uh, really helps them and supports a good cause. This is the thing about the cigar industry. We forget about how much time we're in it sometimes. Uh, so, uh, and how long we've been around and everything, even though we're, well, you're young. I'm, I'm old, but Oh, <laughs> I'm feeling old these days, man. I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't feel as young as I used to. <laughs> well, they're, they're actually just celebrating their 11th anniversary. I saw that on their website today. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. yeah so 11 years. Lord. Yeah. 11 years. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Uh, so they've got some great projects. You can, you can, uh, I put the link in the chat. You can select different projects, uh, ongoing projects, one-time projects. And even if you want to support the missionaries that are involved, uh, including Brian and his wife, you can, uh, you can do a one-time donation, a monthly donation. And, and it, it's, it's, it's truly a great cause. Um, I'm, I'm pleased that I'll be uh, later tonight. My wife and I, Justin, like, just like last time, we'll making a, we'll be making a small donation in your honor. Uh, oh, thank you. That's, that's fantastic. So it'll, it'll be a, you know, it's, it's a great organization, everybody. And, and what they do down there is absolutely uh, nothing short of fantastic for the, the, you know, for a country that, you know, gives us in this industry so much joy and so much celebration and so much, you know, so much enjoyment, you know, with these cigars and everything we, you know, it's, it's important to support the communities that, that create this. And this is, this is a great example of that. And so, uh, Project Manana, uh, like I said, the, uh, you can go to projectmanana.org. Uh, the link is in the chat. I'll be posting it later in the show notes as well. And, uh, uh, they have things like there's, a, there's everything from clean water projects to education projects, prison projects, or like I said, you can support even some of the missionaries, including his wife, uh, Brian and his wife, Nebraska down there in, uh, in, uh, the Dominican. So, uh, great stuff. Uh, thank you, Justin. No, thank you for giving the opportunity to uh, to spotlight them. I, I appreciate that. My uh, my story about Brian Berman that I love to tell is you know early days of CRA. Right, I was like, I'm going to join this organization, and I joined it, and uh, you know I got assigned a member ID number, and I was trying to log in with my member ID number, couldn't get in, couldn't get in because I wanted to sign the petition, and uh, so I wrote a wrote a not a complaint but a little a little uh, contact us page or help uh, email, and I get a call. I get a call from someone in the like nine o'clock at night to help me get through this issue. And I was like, I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. Thanks for calling me so late. And I was like, what was your name? He's like, Oh, it's Brian. And I was like, Brian, Brian Berman. And he's like, yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can help me. Sure. And Brian actually helped me troubleshoot that issue. And I was able to sign the petition that night. Uh, my first night as a member of CRA. So it was, it was, it was a pretty cool uh, Brian Berman story. So um, got a couple more questions for you, Justin. Going to go down memory lane a little bit more here uh, in, in terms of, you know, 
growing up and everything. And it was more than just sports. I know that, you know, like every kid, you know, we all have favorite movies. We all have favorite music groups and bands and singers and stuff. And so I was, I was, uh, being the sports fans we are, I, and it was no, it was no shock to me. The, the actor that starred in the film that you cherished as a kid was no shock to me. Cause I'm a big field of dreams guy. Um, yeah. it, I, to me, it's my favorite movie of all time. Um, and definitely my favorite baseball movie of all time, but, uh, it's close, close second is bull Durham, but also Kevin Costner. Right. Yeah. But your movie as a kid, you were telling me it was Robin hood, Prince of thieves, which is also a Kevin Costner film. What, what, it, what I love the movie. I'm not knocking it, man. I just, I it totally, it was one of these things that totally caught me out of left field. These questions I asked you ahead of time. I was like, well, that was, I, I knew it was about the Braves and, you know, all this other stuff, but man, when you told me, when you told me Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, man, that caught me way off. Guard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think it, you know, depends on like kind of what, what, what part of childhood we're talking about. So like when I, when you were asking me about Halloween, I was thinking about, you know, when I was seven, eight, nine years old, learning how to play, you know, poker with Halloween candy. And at that same time, frame is when I was watching uh, I got introduced to the movie Robin Hood Prince of Thieves and I don't know if you remember but they used to and I mean I was young so this had to be I had to be seven or eight years old Uh, they had this this uh, you could buy it wasn't like Legos but it was basically like this Robin Hood uh, thing that you built where you built the village with the huts and you had the the action figure set yeah 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 Mm -hmm. the zip lines and man, I just remember for that time period, like I was obsessed. It was such a cool movie. Um, I had a bow and arrow, you know, I'm outside shooting bow and arrow in my, in my yard. Uh, even some of the neighbors, we started shooting at each other until our, our moms found out, ruined everything. Uh, <laughs> saved a couple eyes and, and limbs probably. But yeah, so in that time period, like that was my jam. It, and it's funny because it, it also Kevin Costner now, as I got older, you know, it was definitely more filled of dreams, bull Durham. Um, and honestly, man, and I still think I'm kind of in the minority for this, but my favorite baseball movie is for love of the game, which also is, is Kevin Kevin Costner. Costner, Yeah. And that, but, but you're talking a different time period too. I think when for love of the game came out, I was, uh, I was maybe 15, 16 years old. Yeah. We were in high Um, school. Yeah. We were in high school at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, different, different time, your different thoughts. Um, and that man, that, that movie just, it encompassed everything for me on an emotional level of what you deal with being a professional baseball player with your personal life, but also the love for the game and, and the adversity and the obstacles that he had to overcome. So that, you know, again, that was one of my, my favorite things, but you know, well, kind of it, similarly to a parallel to your own life too, right? I mean, yeah, uh, and I and honestly, I think given given what I've gone through, like it, it kind of the the movie meant a little more to me. Um, had I, had I not gone through what I've gone, I mean, it's still one of the movies that I watch at least once or twice a year. Like I, I'll just I'll I'll throw it on a flight or something. I've got it. I've, I bought it on like my iTunes. Oh yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah, man. But but in the in the younger years, the you know the the, before the the teenage years, uh, it was definitely Robin Hood like popped in my head when, you know, and of course, I was, you know, like any kid, Mighty Ducks, 
was a was a was a big movie for me. I lo- I loved watching Mighty Ducks. Um, but yeah, Robin Hood was one of those things that that I always watched. Um, and it's amazing, dude. I mean, it's Kevin Costner too. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just started. I guess I'm late. I just started watching Yellowstone uh, this month, and I'm like, and and a buddy, actually, my buddy, who's sitting here with me in the cigar shop, I was like, what is everybody flipping out about this show for? And he's like, it's Kevin Costner in a cowboy hat on a ranch. What more do you need to know? And it's like, so, and it's the same thing. It's like baseball movie, Kevin Costner. What more do you need to know? Right. Robin, Prince of Thieves, Kevin Costner, Morgan Freeman. What more do you want? Right. Yeah, Alan Rickman, the all-time bad guy. Yeah, yeah I Alan mean, Rick. Yes. So, so my, so my memory. There's a couple things here I wanted to take off with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was. So my favorite favorite character, and I, I, I really do like it. That's why I said I wasn't gonna give you shit about it at all. I really do like the movie too, and it's one of those things I can watch on a loop. But my favorite character is great as Kevin Costner is as Robin Hood, and he's good. And, um, and man, I think, I think, I think Robin Hood's two thoughts of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. One, it completely derailed Christian Slater's career because Christian yeah. Slater was a little bitch in that, yeah. in that movie and he never recovered from it. Like he was no, on his he way. He was on his way to being a star. And then he took this role. was a little bitch. Everyone fucking hated the guy. And it, he was never able to, he was never able to claim the stardom that was probably rightfully his. So hats off yeah. to him for playing playing the little bitch and being the supporting actor, playing sick fiddle to Kevin Coster and Morgan Freeman in this or third fiddle rather. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that that's, that's, that's thought number one. Thought number two, this is a controversial take as much as I love Kevin Coster in that film. I still, I still think the best performance is Morgan Freeman as Azim. I, I love like yes. his sarcastic wit. Um, the, the the constant ragging that he gives on Kevin Costner the whole movie like you have to get old as you get older you appreciate it a little bit more it's yes. a little bit more comical he's like like the the bit where he's like you know when he shows him the telescope for the first time and the guys he's trying to poke the guy that that he can see like because of this he's like and they and, and they all they're about to leave and and he just has this very subtle under his breath kind of like oh and they call me a barbarian like like just, just, yeah, he he's 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 terrific in it. I mean, he is hilarious in it. And it's it's a really unusual role for for Freeman because Morgan Freeman doesn't have a lot of those. Like, if you look back at his career, he does. I mean, despite the time that he plays God in a movie, like he doesn't really have those comic bits like he doesn't have a lot of f- funny lines. You know, this, he's the guy from Shawshank, you know, and right. he's president in Deep Impact and. And, um, you know, driving Miss Daisy, like he had these very serious roles, you know, um, but yeah, that, he's my favorite. He's my favorite character in those movies. So last thing on this, Kevin Costner, here's a question. I asked Miguel Shodell, our good friend, Miguel Shodell, the same question. He did the Field of Dreams show like you did Gladiator with me. Is Kevin Costner the greatest sports actor of all time? Man, it Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, yeah, Field of for Love of the Game, Tin Cup. Okay, okay, not not on anyone's like must see watch, but McFarlane USA, and one of the 
worst movies about football ever, but is a total rewatch. Draft Day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like Draft Day, actually. I like I, Draft Day, too. Like, I, it's like, it's, it is a guilty pleasure film. I will watch that shit on a loop. I yes. don't care. Like, the whole, like, pancake-eating motherfucker thing is just the <laughs> fucking tits, man. I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh, man, I, I'm tr- so I'm trying to think of somebody who whose career, you know, through through sports uh, uh, films. Uh, and, I, and I can't I can't think of one uh, really. I mean, obviously, you've got, you know, Robert Redford, who, uh, who, who who's got a couple films to, yeah. to his credit. But um, in my lifetime, like for, for my money, it, it's it's Kevin Costner. All it has way. to be. I, I, I just can't really think of anybody else. I'm sure. I'm sure our 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 resident uh, our resident uh, encyclopedia Coop will come up with somebody else, but oh yeah, well uh, even our even our our regional sales manager for the southeast Nick Nanzuati, who's like you know he was a film critic. He's he's the he's Mister Blue Checkmark. I'm sure he would have he would have something to uh, to say about it. Oh, um, he probably he probably hates some of those Costner films. So like. <laughs> But uh, but for for my money, man, Scott, do you any any uh, any any sports guys compared to Kevin Costner? See, what I think is Wesley Snipes. Ah, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, maybe. Snipes had a white man can't jump. The fan, uh, major league, major league, major league. Yeah, yeah. So, so Wesley might might be a, a bit of an underdog candidate there. Stallone, uh-huh. Stallone with the Rocky films, but that's that to me. That's like what he's known for. And that, I mean, they're iconic. So I'm not, I'm not knocking Stallone, but he didn't really do any other. Yeah. Film. But I mean, the Rocky franchise on its own stands, stands kind of better. The uh, the other one. Now, this is an unsung hero. Speaking of '90s kids that we are and sports films, Omar Epps. Yes, the program Major League Two, uh, and uh, and for love and basketball. Yes, man, I forgot about Omar Epps. Yeah, everybody does. <laughs> I mean, other than that, what did he do, right? Like, other than that, with yeah. his career, we got another uh, another Wesley Snipes movie, Wildcats. Wildcats, so, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, the Woody Harrelson trifecta: Wildcats, uh, White Men Can't Jump, and then Money Train, which wasn't a sports movie, but but yeah, yeah. The those those guys were those guys were a heck of a duo for sure. But, yeah. Yeah, no, it's I I love the Kevin Costner uh, sports movie. Like it just Kevin, I will go see like I will go see it now. Like if he did another movie, I don't care. Hundred percent. I think one of the things that's endearing about Kevin Costner is, you know, he's a baseball guy like Mm -hmm. through and through. One of the most disappointing things that I felt like when so obviously Brad Pitt did Moneyball, you know, the Billy Bean story. And I saw an interview and and. And Brad Pitt was like, well, it was a challenge because I'm not a baseball guy. Like, I, you know, yeah. I, he was like, I, 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 I dove into the character. He's like, but I, and, I, and if, you know, obviously. And I thought he did good. Baseball, I love that film. Oh, he, he did great. He, he, as an actor, he did what he was saying. I mean, he did a phenomenal job, but it's just like, I think part of the, the, the endearing quality of Kevin Costner is when you watch him in these movies, you know, he's a baseball guy. Like right. when he showed up at the Field of Dreams games, our game and he was emotional like you knew that meant something to him and it was beyond a movie it was about the game and so that's where like some of these other characters that play sports characters whether it's coaches gms you know athletes it's it's just it doesn't mean as much when you find out that they're like i've never swung a bat in my life 
or I, I can't dribble a basketball if, you know, if I had to. So I think that's one of the things that I like about Kevin is, as you know, it's, it's, it's part of who he is. Absolutely. So, uh, that leads us into our, our last question tonight, Justin. I've kept you for a while, but I've, I've, I've had fun tonight. I hope you have had to. I know it's late, and like you said, you got a busy week with this announcement of your promotion and everything coming up. So this has been fantastic, man. I, I, I really enjoyed this. I hope you did as well. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. No, my pleasure. And the good news is my, uh, my boss from Europe will probably be emailing me here at 3 a.m. my time, so, so it, it, it's, it's so- not too much. Only, only like two more hours before the workday starts. So yeah, he'll, he'll, you'll get in, and he'll, he'll just be really appreciative of you. He's like, man, Justin is a go-getter. This is fantastic. <laughs> um, so, one of, the, so who is the? Okay, so who? Before I go into the curveball, who is the favorite Braves player of all time? Is it Andrew my Jones? Favorite baseball player is of all Chipper? time? Yeah, is it Chipper? Is it Andrew Jones? One of the pitchers we mentioned. Like, who's the favorite Braves, Braves player of all time? My favorite Braves play, man. So as a kid, it was Ron Gant. Then it kind of morphed into David Justice. And then I was a huge, like, Andres Galarraga fan as, as, you know, as a a first, third baseman slash first baseman. Chipper Jones, obviously. Um, I would say, I would say, but this is probably 30 for a loop. My favorite Atlanta Braves player, and the, as of right now, the only Atlanta Braves jersey that I that you know that I have that my mom hasn't kept from when I was a kid was uh, Mr. Ryan Klesko. Ryan Klesko was, go, yeah. uh, was was my guy. That big wide stance at the plate, yeah. high follow through, dude. I yeah, he was he whatever it was. I, I get that was probably right around the time where I'd, I'd actually put a few over the fence, and so yeah, he <laughs> he he connected with me. All right, so we're not going to get into this as much as I wanted to because of the interest of time, but I asked you who your favorite band was growing up to. And while it didn't catch me for a loop because it's totally apropos for the time as teenagers, but <laughs> your favorite band growing up was Creed. So, I really, really thought you would devote a whole segment to the the. I, I kind of wanted to, but <laughs> it's not, it, no, it makes sense. So for like, if now... Now you could have really, you could have really railroaded yourself and said Nickelback because for whatever reason, like there, like there's like these three generations of people that have just piled on with Nickelback and made them like the bastard child of music. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, look, they're not good. I'm not, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to give them any redemption here, but like, it's really comical to me. But they, Creed, they Creed don't was deserve everything that's every, every everything that's piled onto them because I will say, uh, having gone to a Nickelback concert. They did play stuff that was not like it. It, it, it to me, it was almost like they're two different bands. They're this is what's going to be mainstream, and this is what's going to get played on the radio, and then this is more of our like almost heavier metal type sound. So I w- begrudgingly went to a, a Nickelback concert, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, this was not as bad as as I thought it would be." So yeah. I, I, that's not saying much, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But, not, it wasn't as terrible as I thought. Yeah, no. So, so Creed was it. So Scott Stapp, lead, lead man for Creed, that iconic, scratchy voice that kind of was pretty prominent during that time in the '90s, as far as lead singers was going. The Rob Thomas and and yeah. you know that kind of that kind of era of singer. So the the curveball question is is three parter, okay? And so and it's what diesel cigar would you smoke with these three individuals? So I'm going to name them for you. So what diesel cigar would you cut and light up with these three individuals? 
We'll start with the only the only Braves jersey you own. We'll start with Mr. Ryan Klesko. So what what's, what diesel cigar would you cut and light and smoke with that man, with Ryan Klesko? I feel like prob- not knowing whether or not he's a he's a cigar smoker or not, the probably the most universally liked cigar that I have and is is the original diesel whiskey row. It's it's not overpowering. It's it's got a lot of flavor, but due to that barrel aging process, it tames some of the wildness of the Nicaraguan tobacco that that AJ uses. So it's a very to me, it's a very middle of the road. Uh, cigar that someone who maybe only smokes on occasion, it's not going to burn them out. It's not going to overpower them. Guys like you and I who smoke every day, there's flavor there and there's there's consistency that we enjoy. So Whiskey Row is my go-to for someone that uh, that I don't really know their palate uh, just yet. Okay. Well, a guy we know has probably smoked a thing or two in his day, Mr. Scott Stapp with that raspy voice of his. So what would you light up with Mr. Scott Stapp? Oh, Creed. Scott Stapp. I'm, I'm going, I'm going uh, full blown diesel delirium. Delirium. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I'm going with some, uh, some, some, some high octane, some everything that uh, embodies uh, the, the brand diesel and Nicaraguan tobacco. It'll help his, his voice get a little raspier. So I think delirium is what I, what I'd light up with him. All right, now the hardest one. Here we go. Mr. Kevin Costner. What so diesel Ke- cigar would you light up with Mr. Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner, to me, uh, is, you know, he's refined. He's, he's elegant, but he's a little rough around the edges, too. You know, he can, uh, he, he, as, as the character that I'm watching in Yellowstone, he, he knows his way around a around a horse and a ranch and 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 can can handle a rifle obviously in, in, in many of his westerns so I'd give him a little something that's 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 maybe uh, that has some refinement but is but is a little little more rough around the edges a little more no gimmicks no no fuss just just hey it is what it is and that that'd be uh, Esteli Poro. That's, really that's what uh, that's what I would go with for uh, for for old Costner there. That was actually I, I I had only one cigar picked with one person and Kevin Costner and I, that was I was I was hoping you'd say Delirium for Scott Scott Stapp but uh, <laughs> um, I uh, yeah I would I'd do the Estelle Pirro with with Kevin Costner I'd I'd smoke one with him for sure. So, alrighty, and uh, of course, our, our curveball segment always brought to you by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park six consecutive years in the consensus top three. Yep, I looked it up. I even got fact checked by my partner on Cigar Coop Primetime Special Edition, Mr. Will Cooper. So that was our curveball segment, and this has been our hundred and eighty sixth take. Man. Wow. Nice, nice little fun ride down memory lane for two 90s kids who have uh, found their way into the cigar industry. One, obviously more successful than the other, but still, still a lot of fun to be had uh, that we get to that we get to call this industry home and, and, and have fun with it. So it's good times. So thank you, Justin. Dude, uh, thank you, Bear. It's, there's, there's not a lot of people that uh, I would stay up to 1 a.m. to talk to on a, on a Sunday. Um, and, and that, that list is small and, and, and you're on it. So, uh, so now I'm always, always have a good time. I appreciate, cause I know we're going to have a good discussion. I know it's not going to be, 
just about cigars. Um, and again, there's uh, there's plenty of time for that as well. But uh, but no, always enjoy the conversation. We've got similar you know similar backgrounds and memories coming up in the in the the time that we did. So it's always always a good good chat. Are you uh, you got anything planned for the big two hundredth uh, take? I imagine that's got to be something that you're you're thinking about down the down the road there. Yeah, fourteen takes away. Got some things in the works. Gonna hopefully uh, hopefully uh, have a great milestone show and. Got a, got a couple of things working, uh, just like you and Forged and uh, with your collaborations and everything. Not not necessarily anything it's cemented in yet, but uh, it'll be uh, it'll be fun. Uh, nevertheless, we're excited about it. Uh, the four-year anniversary show is coming up next month as well. Early next month, I'll have uh, Tim Wong will be back, Pier 28 Cigars. Uh, he was my very first take, and I always bring him back every anniversary. Oh, wow. So. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of fun there to be had, but uh, but uh, everyone out there, thank you for staying up late with us. Uh, we're gonna put we're gonna let Justin finally get some rest uh, until he catches his boss's email here in a couple hours. And uh, but I really appreciate everyone all the likes, shares, and comments. You can check out our YouTube channel, Elos Fumar. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Also, don't forget to hit the like button on our Facebook page. That's where you can find a calendar of all the upcoming events. And as always, if you are listening later, whether on podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure you be sure you hit the download, subscribe, and review button. Please hit the unsubscribe if you are you are a subscriber, but please don't forget to hit the resubscribe button because that really helps my numbers. And that that's really what convinces Justin to come back each and every time I've asked him to. So that's thank right. thanks everybody. This was our 186 take. I'm Barry Duplissy, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Euless, Texas. And guess what, everybody? See you next time. <laughs>